There is an old proverb which says, don't try to do two things at once and expect to do justice to both. This is the story of a podcast who tried it. Mm. 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 See, our guest had just uh, said that. As he a did that check. as a mic check. Yeah. yeah. And he did better than you. We are trying to do two things uh, yep. at once in this episode. Two different movies. Two movies. Isn't it fun to do a series of double features like this? It's honestly, it's a little, I mean, not the movies are short, obviously, yeah. but it is more homework. It is. I do feel that. You yes. Know, because I want to think about the movies. Yes. But I also have to, you know, have to set them up and knock them down. Yeah. And some, I, I find there's usually one. You know what's interesting? In most of these double features, and the pairings aren't arbitrary, but they're just chronological, right? It's two at a time in order. Uh, in most of them, there's one that I think ends up in our conversation looming larger, feeling like the more important one to talk about. The other one is sort of the backup feature, whether it's first or second in the order. But when you dig into the history of this, the one that looms larger now tends to be the one that kind of flopped at the time. Yes. And the one that is... The one that we've forgotten was like a solid hit. Right. Yes, that is true. Because today we're talking about two movies that are, in my opinion, his crowning achievement as a filmmaker. You're talking Sherlock Jr. I think is not only his best film, but I think is one of the best films ever made. Absolutely. And then the second film we're talking about, The Navigator, was far and away the most successful film of his career. And, uh, you know, it's got a lot of great bits on a boat. And it's not forgotten today, but, like, no one is putting that up at general Sherlock Jr. level, I, I would argue. I think, we're, you know, it's like the next three weeks we're doing yes. Sherlock Jr. Navigator. Yes. So that's, you know, then we're doing Seven Chances and Go West. I mm -hmm. guess that's the maybe the one where those both are, you know. But Seven Chances sure. is better yes. regarded. Yeah. yeah. Battling Butler and the General. The General has become totemic, was kind of right. a flop at the time. And then yeah. College and Steamboat Bill. I feel like Steamboat Bill is Steamboat the one Bill that Steamboat Bill is bigger and, and Cameraman's bigger than Despite Marriage. marriage. Yeah. yeah, so like, right. you know. It, and I think our hospitality is bigger than Three Ages. Yeah. Uh, this is the best one, though. Sherlock Jr.? Yes. Yeah, once again, I think, look, we, we have this conversation, I feel like, a couple times a year. It will be sprung up. Serious contender for best movie we've ever covered on this wow. podcast. Because I think it's just in the conversation the best things ever you love this made. Thing. I love it too, though. I, I mean. think it's perfect. Here's the thing: we've covered a lot of films that I think are perfect. We covered a handful of what I would deem to be perfect films. Wow. Here's an advantage this one has: it's 45 minutes long. Any other movie put, I put in the conversation next to it, it's more impressive that this is able to pack as much of a punch in half or a third of the time. The real estate that these other movies are using. Um, I may have said this joke on mic before. I, mm -hmm. I can't remember. But, you know, um, I went to see Medea uh, at BAM a couple years ago. With, Which um, one goes to jail? Uh, I'm glad you made reunion. that joke because I was going to make it, but I didn't want to chime in yet. <laughs> no, 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 you're, no. You have please, to chime You in. have Thank to you chime in. in. Um, you know, with uh, Bobby Cannavale and Rose Byrne, a sort of modern update on They let Bobby uh, Cannavale play Medea? That feels a little <laughs> problematic. That's like, that's a little bit of a Buster Keaton. Pushing the envelope. That's when you start to go, oh, good. And here's the thing about it. Yes. I, I liked uh, I liked aspects of the production. I sure. I had some problems with the other. Yeah. It was 75 minutes oh, long. Right. And my that's argument was... That's a tight was, Medea, baby. Exactly. <laughs> my argument was that the poster should have just been yeah. Bobby and Rose pointing at a clock yes. and being like, you'll be out at 8.15. Yes. <laughs> like, you can have dinner. Yeah. 
<laughs> just like their mouths again. Medea now only 75 minutes right. long. The marketing campaign for anything like that should be like, there's no chance you regret it. <laughs> It's the also, minute you start getting mad at us, we're sending you out the door exactly, anyway. Right. Also, features, especially comedy features, were yes. in their infancy. So it wasn't a convention that it had to be 90 minutes. No. So there was no studio ahead saying, we got to no. pad this like no. Dark Star. No, his, his longest films. Oh, good, good, good reference point. Wow. You come in wearing a T-shirt of a blank check movie. You're pulling out references to other movies we've covered. You're in the, you're in the tapestry. Yes. For those who can't see... Uh, I'm cool wearing shirt. a uh, a New Leaf t-shirt with yes. a caricature of Elaine May and Walter Where Matthew. did you get this shirt? This was a gift. Huh? This was a gift to me from a filmmaker. This is, do you want Do you want to say, was it? I believe it was Heather Ross who made a documentary about Del Close. Okay, yes. Uh, and, uh, and and she she knew this would be a good uh, I, gift. I believe I, this I believe is, it was her. I, if I, someone else gave it to me, I apologize. I believe if I'm not mistaken, this is the artist who does all the tote bags they sell at the IFC Center, David, that are oh, like the sort yeah. of menagerie of all the different directors' films. I forget his name. He's I recently I remembered him. that I had this T-shirt because it was in a sort of backup drawer. Yes. I have a lot of T-shirts, a lot of graphic T-shirts. I also t-shirts. have a lot of T-shirts and I need a backup drawer. So yeah. I was going through the backup drawer and I found this and I thought, oh, I've got to bring this to New York. I think of you as, as a, a, a kind of a master of, of the graphic tee. Well, I have a it's lot of... It's not your only thing. No, you're the master I, of. I have a, since I moved to LA, it's Amos. warmer there. So yes. it's more t-shirts. In New York, there, yeah. was, a, there was more layering. There was sure. like a lot of vintage cardigan yes. uh, work. The thing about New York, as someone who owns a bunch of silly yeah. t-shirts, mm. you can sort of do the thing where you're like, maybe I'll just wear it under a sweater. Yeah. And it'll just be my little secret. Yeah. Like that I'm wearing a silly t-shirt. I've become whatever. a little more of a, a, long, a long sleeve shirt guy, but yeah. it's because I can have... The, the graphic tee underneath there and decide was, if I want to get uh, to that point. Have you ever done blazer and t-shirt? Oh, yes. Graphic uh, t-shirt, of yes. course. No, I'm not talking have, Don yes. Johnson yes. here. Yes. We're talking, you know, no. uh, nerd. Yes, right, right. Yes. <laughs> Don Johnson, but nerd. <laughs> right. Don Johnson, but nerd. Yes. Um, no, Dark I Johnson. have done that. Blazer yeah. over t-shirt in general, I do think is You do, is well, you nice. do, you have your, your sort of corduroy blazer you wear often well, with I have that a Doughboys t-shirt underneath. I just... Yeah, I, I need the backup drawer so I'm not, you know, hurriedly looking for a shirt to wear, yeah. pulling out the Sonic and Knuckles shirt, being like, well, I can't wear that to the opera. Mitch might be the only person who wears Doughboy shirts more than you. <laughs> yeah, I do love my Doughboy shirt. And I have a lot of Venture Brothers swag. Yes, yes. Because they have these t-shirts, so well, the, the bulk of my current yes. rotation is Venture Brothers shirts. I've gotten to a similar thing. Uh, let me let me set so the they, they just give them to you, I assume. What okay. is this podcast? Yeah, tell us what, what this is. is. <laughs> Is, is there blank- a theme? There are a lot of things going on here today. This is Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. I'm David. Lightning fast. Uh, it's a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their careers, say, uh, taking falls on stage as a, an infant. Sure. Right, a right, child. Being bounced off a wall as a three-year-old. Yes. Right. And are given a series of blank checks, sometimes by one single person. Sure. Who basically independently finances the first 70% of his film career. And then once he gets a studio position, just carries the checkbook over. Sure. I mean, your sentence is running on at this point, but you're, you're, you're still grasping it. Yeah. Uh, sometimes those okay, uh, checks clear and sometimes just, they bounce baby. I was worried. You and were indeed, bounce like baby Buster. Buster Keaton was a bounce baby. He was a bounce baby. Use. He was oh, the boy. ultimate. He was perhaps the great bounce baby. I know. You don't love to think about it in, in some ways. I know he was the boy that couldn't be injured or yeah. whatever, but still. 
You must want you, you could imagine like a Simpsons cutaway gag where the doctor goes like every single organ in your body is ruptured. Right. Right. My God. It's like it's good that the x-rays were pretty primitive yeah. back then. Yeah. But also it didn't still, seem to have any problems. Yeah. When did we get x-rays? Uh, great question. Uh, wow. I have a cousin who's a radiologist. I could text him now. 1895. That's a flex. That's a flex. Uh, <laughs> but Sherlock Jr., the, the, one of the movies we're talking about today, it has the gag where he breaks his neck on camera. And yes. he famously didn't realize it for like weeks. Just to I clarify, think... the gag is not that he breaks his neck. No. He broke his neck doing stuff. Doing stunt. the gag. Doing yes. something. And I... then only discovered it years later I mean, during years. the checkup. Yeah. Yeah. When yes. the doctor was like, when did you break your neck? <laughs> right, right. It was like, oh, that time I did kind of hurt my neck right. when I fell off that. And I did have like blinding headaches. That right. water tower <laughs> spout thing. Right, that was the thing. They only identified that it had healed He had weirdly. the injury, right? It was like, you know, it was lingering, a bruise now, or whatever. Now, can yeah. I, did... Is it possible that Buster Keaton died during that stunt? You mean like and that for a minute? Is, and then it was a Bruce back? Willis. Oh, how great would saying? that be? How great would that be he if was there a ghost. was... Right. Vanity Fair expose. Buster Recent Keaton documents was dead on Earth. for half of his career. Yeah. His best films came post-death. That would be pretty good. Yeah. Our guest... It's throwing, it's throwing it's, uh, fastballs already. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Curveballs, sinkers in the dirt. <laughs> yes. We're chasing them like, you know... Carlos Beltran. And let's say this. He's he's an old friend of mine. He's one of my favorite actors. But beyond anything else, there's there's a, a title, a rare distinction that we need to introduce him with. Okay. He is the most overdue guest in the history. <laughs> I think that of is Blank true. Track. That means because, a lot. Thank no, you. but no, but here's why. Here's why I'm not just saying that. And you probably don't remember. I don't know James. if you remember this. I... You were supposed to do our episode yes. on M. Night Shyamalan's The Happening. Yes. In 2016. 16 or very even, early yeah, in the days of the show. It was the first proper director series we ever did. Right. It was really just like five or six episodes into this show as right. a concept. And so whatever, is it the village? No, Lady in the Water right before that. Our Lady in the Water episode ends with us promising that you will be on next week. <laughs> and then yeah. what, but I, what happened? It was Griffin's fault. It was my he fault. set up. <laughs> It was my with fault. With you yes. that you would do this, but we didn't actually like check with you that you were available it was to a like thing week up. like this where it was like, I may be in New York for a week shooting a thing. And then I sort of like put it on the books without ever double confirming with you. Oh, I see. Yes. We had had the conversation where you said yes in principle. Yes. But then, right. It was, it was absolutely my fault and not yours. But I, I'm excited to say James Urbaniak is on the show today. Here he so is. excited! Seven I love the years show. after the promise That's fulfilled. Very nice. It's of you wonderful to, say. to put uh, faces to the voices. Yes. Of producer Ben mm. and of David, fellow mm. Jersey boy. You made the fellow Jersey, Jersey boy. We discussed New yep. Jersey. Yeah. But we have that in common. James, truly, people will come up to me a couple times a year and go, "Are you ever actually going to get James Urbaniak on?" Because I've been waiting since. That I, I must say, when I I listened to the Fablemans episode, mm. and I have a small role in the Fablemans, I was and you to mentioned say you are me, in a shouted you, and then you sh you mentioned me, and you we said did. something like, "We have to have him on the show," and that made me feel good. Yes, oh. and then you you yeah you messaged me. I said beyond overdue, and you mentioned that you had been watching Buster Keaton movies with your son recently. I have been oh, watching Buster cool. Keaton with my son, yes. yes. And my son is also a fan of the show. He's, that's he's, wild. We've, we've you know listened to it together. There are three blank check guests in that scene of the Fablemans. Wait, what? no, you're not. No, because you're in the high school scene. You're yeah. in the uh, graduation. I'm in the prom. Right. But there are three blank check guests in the Fablemans. In the film. 
No, fuck. What am I talking about? What are you talking about? I've lost my mind. There's yeah, one David's blank check guest in the pay yeah. I have had a cold. I'm yeah. no longer. Well, you can hear it in my voice. Sure. There, there are, are two many blank future blank check. Yes. Little Steven has got to come do the show. I mean, come on. <laughs> Gaby LaBelle. I'd have him. Yeah. Gaby Judd LaBelle. Hirsch. Great. Oh, yeah. Judd Bring Hirsch would be a great guest. Yeah. Judd Hirsch is doing old boy. Uh, for the ooh, films of Robert really Redford, sold. yes, obviously, yes. Um, no, it's West Side Story. I was conflating the high school sequences oh. in West Side Story and The Fablemans. Well, and indeed, there is a, a similar comedic there, right, educator a, yes. in uh, West Side Story. A, a, a principal going like, "Now, now, yes. you know." Like, Precisely. Like, but who is it in West Side Story? So in West Who's Side, the actor? Well, obviously Rachel Siegler is on. Yes, is in that scene, and yes. she's been on our show. But yes. also Rebecca Bolness is in that scene, right. in the background dancing. Right. Anyway. Anyway, Just, and I was like about to be like, "Oh, this is brilliant!" And then I realized yeah. I'm thinking of two separate auditoriums uh, a year well, in release. But apart. this is the point, James. Once again, much like you are one of the great uh, graphic tea wearers, but that is not <laughs> your only identity. Yes, you but have a huge a, part of it. Tremendous range as a performer, but you are in the canon of the great cinematic principles. Thank you. Fablemans was just another feather in the cap, but we of course met. When Where you were playing a high school principal, right. in another film, right. a less a less uh, celebrated film, which yes. is that almost the antagonist of the of the picture. <laughs> it was you and Jesse McCartney. But where are the Gonzo? Oh, your which principal I, of course, Roy. Play I see here. Horny Rob Becker. Yes. And James was the principal. And that's when we met. Yes. And I remember the moment when we met on set. Mm. You came up to me. There, you were with some other of the young actors, and yes. you had a very nice smile on your face, and you said, "Hi." That was a big fan. And uh, I like this seems like a friendly person. And then we we uh, bonded we quite did. immediately and became pals and hung out a lot. I felt very intimidated by you because I was a big fan of oh. yours. And it's also like that movie was uh, like inmates running the asylum. Mm. Like it was mostly us d dumb youngins who had so much energy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and none of us had like really gotten to be in movies or certainly not yeah. large roles there were like several that. several stars of tomorrow in that film. Yes. I say. That's yes. what's so weird about that movie. It's Three sort of future superheroes. <laughs> it's true. Gigantic yeah. cast. Yes. Yes. No. And even just like in some of the small, like a uh, uh, Colby Minfie was in a couple scenes of that, who's on The Boys now. Sure, you're right. They're just constantly people who pop up in things, and I go, like, right, that person was in two scenes in Beware the Gonzo. It um, was our dazed and confused. Yes. In terms of future stars. But there were, there were very few uh, uh, grown-up roles in that <laughs> movie, and most of us were actually pretty young. It wasn't like 29-year-olds playing high school. Now, how long ago was that? This was it's, it's 14 years, years ago? ago. It came Something out in 2010. Like because I had Shot turned, in 2009. Because yeah. this is when, because for the last 20 years or so, I, yeah. I play quirky authority figures. Yes. I play the grown-up in the room often. Which you, you, I feel like you're such a key kind of like Gen X indie film figure. Is it surprising to you? You come in today, you look cool as hell. You're wearing a fucking new leaf shirt, but then you show up in something <laughs> like Fableman's as like the stern, like sort of like yes. self-amused principal. But he's also fit a, it very he's well. He's also a middle-aged man from 19, the early 60s. So sure. he's a character who's born in like 1917 or something. That's a yes, good point. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, as you know, I also have the fondness for old-timey times. You as love old-timey old stuff. <laughs> Was that like Buster Keaton. How yes. much, actually, I have to know, yes. Like, what was it like working on a Steven Spielberg film? It was really incredible. He was a, he was a total mensch. Yeah. Uh, I, I walked in, and it was, it was shooting at a, a, an actual high school in L.A. It was mm -hmm. July. It was like the July prior, not this past July, obviously, but sure, the one before July that. July 21. It was a hot day. The air conditioning was off, obviously, for sound. Yes. And the room was filled with uh, extras, young people, dressed for the prom, and it looked like Back to the Future. 
Right, because yeah. it's supposed to be the early 60s, which looks like the 50s. Yeah, yeah. And then a classic first AD, a tall, sort of alpha male, uh, sort of Michael Bay type guy, yeah. walked over to me, you know, very aggressive, but but good people skills. Yeah. You know the type. <laughs> yeah. There's a certain type of yeah, AD. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, here comes the classic guys, AD. He came to make things happen. Very fast, tall, right? very yeah. tall, yeah. Yeah. broad. And he came up to me, he was like, Hey, hey, James, uh, uh, said his name. Yeah. Uh, so just, yeah, we're going to set up for the shot uh, with the group. Just go on stage. Go up on the stage. He's, yeah. So now I'm on the stage. Oh, wow, this there, guy does look like an alpha. There are young people there. Are you looking up the Josh, Spielberg's first idea? Yes. Josh McLaglin. And there's actors, young actors playing in the band. Yeah. And, and there's just tech people running all over. And I, my first thought was, well... Obviously, Mr. Spielberg will be in Video Village. Yes. Right. I'll never even meet exactly. the man. Right, right. The AD will tell me what to do. Yeah, right. yeah. And then from the back, that there he comes. comes. Yeah. He's wearing a mask. Right, it's still pretty still, deep still COVID. COVID deep COVID. He's yeah. wearing a mask, yeah. the glasses, the beard, yeah. a cap. Where it's hot in there. Yeah. He's wearing a denim jacket over a sweater over a button down. I mean, he throws some fits. Steven I mean, Spielberg. Spielberg. There's that tweet. I was trying to find it the other day and Twitter, an elephant graveyard, where it's impossible to find the things. <laughs> when you, you try and search for anything now, it's right. like, you meant Nazis, right. right? What are the things that used to bring me joy on this site? <laughs> right. Do they still exist here? But there was some tweet that someone posted of like, Steven Spielberg always looks like he's wearing every single item of clothing he just got for Christmas at the same time. <laughs> yes, I know Indeed, exactly very, layered. Right. very layered. Very layered. Like, right. Uh, he's got a lot of kids and grandkids. He's probably Capshaw. getting a lot of gifts. Just yeah. gave him a scarf, a yes, hat, a sweater, exactly. a shirt, gloves. And a fanny pack. And a fanny pack, yeah. Um, and so then he came up to me and was super friendly. Mm-hmm. The first AD said, Stephen, this is James, our principal. Yeah. And he said, hi, James. And I said, thanks for having me. And Stephen Spielberg said, thanks for being had, which was cute. That's Very cute. One. And then just it was just a really good experience. He has that gift that great directors have where yeah. he creates an environment that allows things to happen. Yeah. So I feel... I'm very happy with myself in that, which is not always the case, mm. but I feel like I'm funny and spontaneous and, yeah. and I actually get a couple of close-ups because I would do takes and he would come out and he would laugh. Yeah. At one point I, I felt comfortable, so I called him Steven. Mm. And I said, Steven, is this working for you? And he said, it is so working, Ugh. which was just very nice to hear. You're part of what, it, what is in that movie, one of my favorite uh, uh, Spielberg uh, camera moves ever, mm. like extended Spielberg shots. Yes. Which is there's that that extended sort of moving oneer that starts with the end of the film being projected, yes. you coming up, yes, sort of calling for applause from everyone, right, and then it pans around to everyone else reacting to this movie as he's disappeared. The bully kid sort of like recovering from it, right. the girl, the redheaded girl, he was having the yeah. Kissing affair with coming up, the ah, other the girlfriend coming affair. up to him, and I going was, back to the Christian girlfriend. And I was watching him do all that coverage. <sighs> yeah. Also, at one point when he was covering Sammy, yeah. uh, and he was actually saying things like, look over there, like uh, the jocks, check out what the jocks think. Yeah. It was almost like Ed Wood going, walk through the door, you right. know, just telling you what, where to look. and what Calling to it like mid-take. Calling it during the take, because yeah. yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's like an MOS shot. Yeah. And then... Uh, also, the camera is coming in on him in that very Spielbergian way. Yeah. The light from the projector is on his face. And at the end of that shot, Spielberg said, fucking cut. That was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> so he's a, he's a rascal. Yeah. But he also like had great, what I can only describe as youthful enthusiasm. Yeah. It also right. felt like making a funnier die video with a 24-year-old guy in, 19, in 2007 yeah. or something. Right. Like, right. we're all doing this thing together. Well, this okay. So the thing, the thing, and, and it shows in his movies. He has genuine joy. 
to this day. Like Absolutely. he's like they're so full of joy. They're yes. not like you know creaky old you know, whatever. Right. Passes prime energy at all. Yeah. Right. The 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 thing with uh, but where the Gonzo uh, 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 the Fablemans Which of its was time also directed by Steven Spielberg. <laughs> yeah. who, who also known for Best Picture, Best Director. Right. Um, directed by Spielberg under a pseudonym. Yes. Right. right. Uh, but but yeah, it, it, like uh, Campbell Scott and Amy Sedaris were the main parents, but th- I mm. think they shot all their stuff in like two days, and the rest of us didn't inter- interact with them. I forgot they were in it, Frank. Yes, it's small, and it was like they shot them out quickly. They were only yeah. in the one location. None of the Incredible. other kids interact with them. Then there's the diner we would go to in the movie that was the Goodfellas diner that everyone shoots at in, uh, in Queens. Oh, yeah. And the, the diner Star, owner, Starlight the proprietor was this yeah. guy, Jerry Grayson, who was like an old sort of uh, uh, Vegasy comic sure. who plays the manager in Lewin Davis. Oh, Sure. Among yeah. other great, he was a great character. He died right before that movie came out, and he was sort of the grouchy diner owner. Ah, kids, get out of my diner, Jerry Grace. And then you were take like, my coat. Yes, you were like the only other kind of adult that we contended with in the movie. When so often it was like the director, the producer, yes. everyone in that movie. Basically, the film started, and like a weekend, they realized we have twenty five percent of the budget we need for this movie. So it felt like all everyone in the crew was scrambling to keep the thing from shutting down. Yes. And we were all just like, let's try everything we've ever wanted to try as actors. Right, because you're, yeah, full of joy. We're full, full of joy full and joy. excitement. Gumption. And we're just trying to keep the thing, like, moving and whatever. And then you came in pretty late but had, like, a number of days. And all your scenes are you, like, catching us in a hallway <laughs> and going, like, you in my office yeah. right now. Gonzo. Right, yes. <laughs> Calling students by their surnames. Yes. Mr. Smith, get yeah. in here. Mr. Yeah. Becker. I'm Mr. Gonzo. It's horny Rob. Principals yeah. who call you Mr. That is, that is a vibe. But there was that thing that, like, I was intimidated by you, A, because I was such a fan of your work, but B, because you were also playing the stern authoritarian sure. figure. Yes. And we are acting uh, so silly every day on set. And I'm like, well, now here's a serious actor. And in every scene, he's staring me down like he hates me. And I feel like, I don't remember what it was, but at some point there was some reference made by one of us that the other one picked up on. Yes. And we realized like, oh, we have- We speak the code. We speak the code. (laughs) It is the thing. You know, when I was at- We have similar reference points. When I was like a 12-year-old- We both like weird old-timey shit. Yeah. Well, sure. That's more specific. When I was a 12-year-old, it really was The Simpsons. You You remember how that used to be a thing where like- if you've met someone on like a camping trip or whatever, you know, like, yeah. and they also knew all the Simpsons references, yeah. you would immediately be like, okay, so we're. I feel like we started talking about Altman somehow. So you guys were, I mean, I don't remember right. that specifically. You were but just that like, here's true. a little 55 year old in the body of a 21 right. year old. Bruce yeah. McCloud's my favorite movie, and that came up, and then you told me that you were supposed to do the computer movie with Robert Altman. Oh, yes. I was, in fact, offered to work with Altman twice, once on a play yeah, and once on a mini uh, a mini series that Gary Trudeau had written. It was going to be the Tanner 88 uh, magic again. And then I had actually been offered Sweet and Lowdown, Ooh, right? film by W. Allen, yes. the, yes. well, the noted filmmaker. Yes. And I, I had uh, committed to that. And yeah. so, but then I ended up hearing like, that, what is that? One of the best films of his later career. <laughs> yeah, in my yeah. Opinion. Well, yes, I haven't Mr. seen Penn. it in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and uh, but Altman apparently that miniseries I th- fell apart. Right, never and had. It was very troubled. But, but it, it was, was a great it was script. About it was early computer program. Right? It was early yeah. computers. So this would have been late nineties. It yeah. was a show called Killer App. Yeah, and the Killer App of the title was Live Video that 
looked good. This doesn't seem like... Which wasn't a thing at the time. No. Sure, made. right. Back right. then it was like real player. And right. it, there <laughs> yeah. was a scene where like, look at this video and it's a video of someone skateboarding in a parking lot and they go, wow, that looks, that's, it's, it's, it's not buffering and it looks really good. And, and they go, that's Joel. He's in the parking lot He's right live. now. Wow. That's a killer app, all right. And that was, that the, just that was the killer app like of the title. Robert Alden no. would be like, no. It was Proto Silicon much. Valley. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm cast sort of to type as a nerdy computer guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was the play? Then he directed, uh, he directed a, um, an, a, a later Arthur Miller oh, play. Oh, that is one of the most notorious uh, stage productions in I British know. history. And I was in a reading. Moon for the Misbegotten, I believe, is the name of the play, right? Well, is that's that a it? Eugene O'Neill play. No, no, right. Resurrection Blues, right. It's not Moon uh, for yes, the Misbegotten. Yes, you're correct. Yes, it's Resurrection Blues. And right. I was in a reading, and I showed up, and I had done the interview with him for uh, the computer show years ago, and he uh -huh. remembered me. Cool. Which was very nice. Yeah, that was also great. Like talking to Robert Altman, which was yeah. which was the audition. There was that, no reading. It, that's like for very the series. Life, right? It's just like 06. Yeah, yeah. And I remember Sorry, I, I, just oh, I was talking that. to Altman. I said something like, "He was very friendly," and I made some joke about, "I just know what I read in these books about yeah. you and you know guys in the seventies." And he said, "Yeah, well, you hear these stories. I mean, I don't know. Someone wrote about me following Orson Welles in Paris." Like like stalking Orson Welles in Paris through the streets, and I mean Orson Welles is fine, but I never thought Citizen Kane was that great. <laughs> wow, <laughs> Orson Welles rolling over! Wow, in a incredible uh, comment from yeah. Mr. Walton. Yeah, uh, but that, then I got after the reading, and by the way, this never happens, as yeah. you know, Griffin. One never does a reading and is then offered no. the job. No. That doesn't happen. So, I was actually offered the role I read in New York. And then it was another thing where I had some other gig and I couldn't do it. it which but only then I ever heard, happens when there's a thing you really want to do. It's like, but he offered me months. two doomed productions. Insane. That is interesting. But that's yeah. a resurrection. Blues. It was when Kevin Spacey, sorry to invoke his mm. name. Oh my glory. Took over the We already Vic. evoked Mr. Allen. We did. We're, we're evoking everyone insane. today. Yeah. Uh, he took By the over, way, the navigator also has blackface. Go on. Uh, it, a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Uh, took over the old Vic, which is a very, very, very famous old theater in London mm -hmm. and became the artistic director. And Moon for the Misbegotten is a different uh, in his like first season. Everything he put on flopped. Yeah. And the biggest flop was this Resurrection Blues with Nev Campbell. That's right. Right. That I remember. Robert Altman directed after and, the company when uh, he was all yes, in on after Nev the Campbell. Company. Exactly. Yeah. Frankly, and I'm sure that would have been a great experience. It was. What, yeah. It might have been very, very interesting. To, I'd have a lot of stories to tell. Were like, did they even rehearse this? Like, yeah. what am I watching? Well, like, it's also yeah. so fascinating. But people that... really had their knives out, especially because the celebrity. Of now, were you yeah. there at the time? I was. I know. I there's was. rumors that you lived there at one point. <laughs> oh rumors. Urbaniac rating three. <laughs> now, by the way, I knew a guy in community college yeah. who once went to England for like maybe six months. Uh -huh. And, and I hadn't like... seen him. I won't say his name, but he was a Jersey guy. Uh -huh. I'd say his name was... Bob Hosley. McGill. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Bob, Bob Hosley. McGill. Yeah. And, and he was a nerdy uh, theater guy. Yeah. You know, he was a nerdy theater like guy from dad. New Jersey. You talk like this. Yeah. And then, like, you could play him in a film when you were younger, right? I, I'd, I'd love to get this role. Bob I'd love McGill. to read for yeah, it yeah. at the very least. That's yeah. All I hey, ask. I'm going to do Fiddler. <laughs> you know, you know when you're young and you refer to plays by oh, one course. word because it's, yes. it's like industry lingo. Yes. He was, so he's a theater a dork. Yeah. He went to England for like six months and I, saw him after this and he was talking to someone and uh, yeah and that was really quite uh, oh, i was really boy. quite shocked because it was quite amazing and i thought oh bob doing an english accent yeah, doing a it's bit, a bit right. it's a classic bit yeah. we all do it and then he saw me said hey james 
And I was like, hey, what's up? He goes, oh, I was in England for uh, last year. That's where I got this. And he pointed to himself, meaning his accent. <laughs> that's where I got this, as if he's pointing to like a shiner yeah. on his face. That's where I got <laughs> right. I can't get rid of it. I can't get he's rid of it. He's wearing like a hat with bananas yeah. on Now, I'm not, this this, I'm not saying this me. is a story that yeah. David tells no. about being in England. No, to I sound lived cool. in England for 13 years, <laughs> and I got like a tinge of an accent. I did not, I did not start calling yeah, you sometimes, yeah. Like, yeah, maybe the upward inflection at the end. Do you want to yes. get some tea? You know that yeah. thing. I well, I think if I that's fine. If I go back there, it does come back a bit. Sure, I, I, I've always been. He says al aluminium. Yeah, you've been hitting aluminium really hard this mini series. And you're always talking about how chuffed you are. I am so chuffed. Well, he is just chuffed. And I am always it's parking constantly. my car in the garage and then yes. going to my house and making a big bowl. Garage of sounds like it should be the American pronunciation, the, the and British should say garage. James, that's a James, weird one. The, the the fact that Brits hit. The long vowel, except for the confusing <laughs> words where they're like, no, Never you say pasta with a long A? Well, then we'll say pasta. pasta. Where you're just like, why? What's the rule here? Why do they flip it on me? Yes. Pasta, yeah. very confusing. garage, there's a few others where for some reason they have vitamin. You know vitamin. Yeah. Do, you, do you know what's one I've been really obsessed with recently? What? Yogurt. Yeah, yogurt. They say yogurt, yogurt like that. They speed know. it up. Yogurt. Rather I, than I, yogurt. I can't explain the twisted minds of these people. Well, then I'll know. stop asking. I was I, mean, I, I don't know. I have no idea what the etymology is. It's so surprising, though, that your friend would want to lose his Jersey accent, which, a, which is a beautiful accent. I agree. It's a real you. cultural signifier mm, people love. People right. love it. It's, it screams worldly. James, you have, you have such a great and distinctive voice. That uh, you've you've done so much great uh, voiceover work, like the Venture Brothers, uh, but even just in general as an actor, I, f I feel like it's one of your trademarks. It, it, is it a thing you developed as a performer? How, did you always sound like this in the middle of New Jersey? Well, I got to tell you, I'll tell you two yeah. things. Yeah. One is when I was a little boy, mm -hmm. I was born in 1963. So oh, in right. the late 60s, mm -hmm. when I was very young, like in first or second grade, a boy came up to me mm -hmm. and he said, you sound like Mr. Spock. Wow. And I didn't know what that reference How was. It wasn't until later. Yeah. Maybe six. Wow. Or seven. That, that's like when Star Trek is fresh. Like so just hit I guess yeah. when I was seven, I was like, do you want to go to the playground <laughs> and play? You know? Yes. And so, but here's the other thing. My yes. parents are both from New Jersey. My dad was born in Bayonne. My mother's from Jersey City. They met at yes. a Catholic dance in like Jersey City yeah. in the 50s. Anyway. Uh my dad kind of sounds like this. He's, he's got kind of a mild Jersey accent. Mm -hmm. just a little East Coast edge to his voice. Mm -hmm. And his default is he's kind of a loud talker. Sure. Hey, and he calls me, hey, Jimmy. <laughs> oh, I heard you. What is, tell me about this podcast you did. This is how my, this is an yeah. impression of my father, Frank yes. Romani. Yes. My uh, late mother, Maureen, is from Jersey City. She had three, uh, she had two sisters. They were three Irish mm -hmm. uh, Catholic girls. Yes. And her sisters are lovely, very, very sweet women mm -hmm. always smiling but they all they kind of talk like this they had fairly strong jersey city accents which is similar to the new york accent just that east coast twang yeah and they both her two sisters talked like that and my mother told me when i was young my mother was not a performer mm -hmm. but she wanted to lose that accent mm -hmm. she, she just, worked she worked at not doing it yeah. so my mother spoke in a slightly over articulated manner yes where it often with strangers if she was at the mall she yeah excuse me where's the jewelry store she had this very precise way of speaking so i think my voice yeah is a combination of my father's jersey loudness yeah and my mother's very 
precise you've got the, you've sort got of articulation. Tang, but then you've got right. the precise. But then I yeah. also am from the tri-state area. I'm from Jersey. So my whole life I've had tells. Yes. yes. Like I said huge my whole life. Mm. Int- like Donald Trump. Yeah. Back me up, producer Ben. Yeah. There's, there's a certain, certain areas of Jersey and New York. You don't do the sound. It's just a Y. You just say, you, you also say humor. And humor, I still say yeah. humor. Annika. Annika. <laughs> Celebrate Annika. Yannika. You have a lot of chutzpah, young <laughs> yes, man. Yes, But So I have certain tells like that. Yeah. Also, there's an episode of Mad Men where Don Draper hires a secretary named D-A-W-N. Mm. And someone says, yes. isn't that going to be confusing? Right. Dawn and Don. And I turned to my wife and said, how is that confusing? You They're didn't get the joke. Pronounced different. And you just said Dawn, yes. which is how you say that word. But I'm overselling it but now. But a lot of, of people yes. in America pronounce both of those the yeah, same. Dawn and Dawn. Dawn is breaking. Yes. The, just, the, yeah. I just got to that episode in my big And I literally turned to my wife who kind of grew up all over, yeah. but is not from Jersey or yeah. New York. Yeah, yeah. And said, what are they talking about? And she's like, well, not everyone says Dawn. But that's, this is the thing. <laughs> I think it, it, as, as performers, you start to get very uh, self-conscious about that. I don't know. I, I never thought of myself as having like any sort of like a, a New York affect on my accent. And there was a thing, the, the villain on the tick in the first season was, mm-hmm. the character was named the Terror. Yes. And terror. we got to the scene where I just was like, I, I cannot say this. Like, I will stop you, the terror. terror. Yeah, I just, yeah. every time was coming out like that. And I'm like, I don't think I sound like a Bowery boy usually. Right. But then I was overselling the, the terror. Yeah, you know? then you sound like an, a British guy trying to sound American. Right. So the, I do think there's that overcorrection thing. I remember you telling me once that Tony Randall was sort of like your gold standard as a performer. 100%. Huge influence. And it made a ton of sense, but I feel like he has that kind of thing where it's like, what a honed voice, you know? Like, what what specific diction he has. Yes, and I forget where he grew up. Yeah. But he's an American person. Yes. He's Jewish, but he he developed this sort of waspy persona. Right, right. So he has that outsider sense of... The, the wasp, blue blood, speak. And he had a corner on that kind of quality. Yeah. Uh, I loved it's him. And also his work in the 50s is he makes Jim Carrey look like a, a, a master of subtlety. Like Buster Keaton. Yeah, yeah. 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 And one of the great underplayers. Because yes. Tony Randall goes very over the top in go some there. of those comedies in the 50s. Yes. In a wonderful way, I mean. Yes. I mean, th- this is one of the reasons... Uh, We're just talking a lot of diction, considering it's a I know, silent movie podcast. I know. Well, ah. but here's the thing. J- James, you have always been one of my favorite people to talk about acting with, which is very often a very difficult thing to talk about. Huge topic with me. I love actors. I love the history of acting and the styles of acting. You speak about it very well in a very unpretentious way, because I think often uh, people who are actors... Uh, have a hard time verbalizing, you know? Even if they understand their own technique, it's hard to really talk about it from an outside-looking-in perspective. And you've always been very uh, uh, sort of... You will will very directly and sightfully hit upon the key to someone's performance style or Mm. their technique or their persona... And so you you messaged me and said uh, it was very sweet to hear you guys call me out in the Fableman's episode. And I said, beyond overdue to get you on, am I wrong in assuming you're a Buster Keaton fan? And you said, just watch Sherlock Jr. with my son. And I went, this is someone I want to hear <laughs> talk go. about Buster yes. Keaton as a performer. As, as, We've yeah, had people as a, on yeah. from different perspectives in yep. this miniseries, att- attacking it from different ways. 
But I, I really, and we haven't had this conversation, mm. and I'm sort of very curious to hear you talk about him as someone who always loves hearing you talk about any actor. Yeah. Especially movie stars. I mean, I think there's something about it. You were in, in your premiere episode mm -hmm. with uh, Ms. Stevens, the friend of the show, yes. whose book is excellent, by the way, Phenomenal. which I also read. Yeah. You talk about how he has this sort of uncanny modern quality mm -hmm. where of like the great, the holy trio of Harold Lloyd and yeah. Chaplin. And I love Lloyd and Chaplin, by the way, as they I know you do too. Feel more of their moment. There's something weirdly timeless about Keaton's comedy, which yeah. you've discussed on the show. But I think it's also his performing style because that very understated uh, style where um, you can accuse Chaplin of sentimentalizing mm -hmm. and Chaplin of sort of acting cute. Mm -hmm. Harold much. Lloyd is sort of playing a regular guy. Yeah. Uh, which is very funny and still works as like a regular guy. Mm -hmm. But Keaton's not really a regular guy. No, he's an irregular guy. And Keaton also, there's a, there's a danger because it's hard not to use academic language when you discuss him. Mm -hmm. Like, it's very easy when you're talking about Keaton to talk about like the spatiotemporal right. dialectic of... You know, whatever. And he was so pointedly <laughs> unpretentious when he talked right. about his own work. Exactly. Like, it's but funny there, or it's not. But there is a sort of modern man, all caps, quality yeah. to that persona. There's an almost existential or zen-like thing that he emanates yes. that people respond to, and that is very timeless. And his performing is very streamlined. Yes. Which I think of as a modern thing. He's It's clean lines. His directing style as well. Yeah. And that just... It's modern. It's like Helvetica font. It's like... Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. It's just is, modern, yeah. which Helvetica was a response to like the ornate German typography during World War One. It's basically... I mean, Helvetica is an anti-Nazi font. You're talking yes. about... And it's also... It's the font <laughs> of the New York City subway. It's my favorite font But anyway, but I did that just... That's modern because it's clean and yes. streamlined. And he's got that modern quality in the teens. Mm-hmm which I guess you could say is the beginning of like a modern era in art and literature, you mm -hmm. know, 20th century. So there's just something about his, his style that because it's so clean and un, unaffected yeah. and anti-sentimental and even, I don't know, I wouldn't say it's emotionless, but have you read uh, Walter Kerr's wonderful book, The Silent Clowns? No. no. Great book. Mm. Walter Kerr was, you know, a, a writer and critic. Yeah. I think its book is probably from the 60s. It's a, yes, you'd love sure. it. It's a wonderfully written book about that era. He, yeah. he got, writes about Keaton. You've got the, you know, Laurel and Hardy on this cover here. Oh, you he's a Charlie really Chaplin. great, and he's a great writer, but he, he's, I was reading his chapters on Keaton before I came in, mm -hmm. and he actually has a great description where he talks about Keaton's uh, serenity. And he doesn't mean, yes. he doesn't mean happiness. <laughs> right. He means right. a kind of, um, a kind of serene resignation to the catastrophes that <laughs> yes, affect him. Yes. But also he just draws your eye <laughs> with how still he can mm -hmm. be in some scenes and like how subtle his face is that you you are you were so drawn to just what is he gonna do next? And like, because he's, so compelling. he's because he's, he's, he's in a sense, he's the he's the ultimate non-indicator. Yeah. Uh that's what I was gonna say. It's like silent film is so much actors need to develop this new vocabulary of how do you communicate it? Uh, emotions when you don't have dialogue and you don't have voice, it's, right? Yes. And there's another thing which interests me about the history of acting, which yeah. is if you look at silent films and early talkies or movies from the 30s, mm -hmm. there will be streams of acting 
that are happening yeah, simultaneously. Right, because there are people who haven't figured it out yet. Sure. The conventions right. haven't been established. It's almost like a Tesla Edison thing where you're watching people experiment with what is the best exactly. way to communicate. Yeah. So you will, DC. See, right, yes. you will see, uh, like, King Vidor's uh, The Crowd has yeah. really naturalistic acting in it. Maybe the greatest film ever. And made. it's that's the one where, like, the couple have the argument, yes. and, and, and he's like, and it's all played very real. It's also the Sims family in The Crowd. And the male here is called John Sims, which is my incredible. Name. Yeah. Yes, I was wondering why the they Sims. had those weird green diamonds above their head. And Homer Simpson is a character in Nathaniel West Day of the Locust. You know, <laughs> nothing's there's nothing new. My nothing. favorite thing about the crowd, <laughs> Simpsons is, already done. The crowd is is one of my favorite movies. It's ever. Incredible! Movie. It's the film I'm maddest I did not put in my top ten at the Sight and Sound. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, uh, Godard in the '60s was asked, like, why don't you make more films about ordinary people? And he famously said, like, the crowd has already been made. Like, mm. why there would I go. remake it? Like, cool. that's, that's but the, the acting in the crowd hasn't, a lot of the acting in that movie hasn't dated a second. It's just naturalistic and very finely right. observed. And obviously yeah. there's a top-down decision to present things like that from the director. Yeah. And there are other movies from that same year where there's a semaphore, there's a pageantry to the acting. Yes. There's an indicating quality where fingers are being waved in the air and, and that's a stream that yeah. coexisted. Then that stream for sort of dramatic acting dried up Right. It stopped. It yeah. still exists. That kind of indicating acting still exists in comedy today. Yes. Because sure. there's an there's an indicated quality to comic acting. I think it's uh, actually it's it's uh it's surged again. Yeah. That's yeah. also the kind of acting that if I told you, you know, act like you're in a silent movie, you might right. you might Yeah. And there's we have yeah. a the, you know, the stock idea is that that's what silent movie acting is, but it yeah. isn't and Obviously, Keaton isn't doing that at all. No one no. is. I, I, His female yeah. leads are never like that either. They're always very natural. I know. I was taking. Oh, totally. Yeah. Rewatching Sherlock Jr. Jump ahead a little bit, but just on this. Uh, We're not uh, jumping ahead. Conversation. We're like two hours into this episode. This we should talk about it's a fucking corker. Um, <laughs> Sherlock Jr. But but there's the incredible sequence where sure you're jumping ahead in the film within sure, the movie in a movie yes. right where the romantic rival, the, the classic Keaton big guy, competitor for the love. Yes. Uh, the Sheik. The Sheik. The, yes. Uh, yes. Like and, and his butler are rigging up all these traps to try to knock out Sherlock yes. Jr., right? And it, it's an incredible sequence, but, like, those two guys are absolutely doing what most people think of as silent film acting. They are, like, so heavily made up. Yeah, they are like really wagging their eyebrows and like over emoting and over expressing, and it helps the scene. Oh, it does. But you're watching it; it only puts in more stark contrast how modern a performer Keaton is, because it's like he's doing like sort of a form of like new Hollywood neorealistic acting decades before that's going to become de rigueur, let alone yeah. before you know dialogue and and sync sound is being put into these movies. He's he's acting like a talkie actor, but he's using the fact that you can't hear what he's saying and he's to just, his advantage. It's amazing because it's all, we, as we all know, he he's he's basically been in show business since he came out of the womb. Yeah, and he grew up in vaudeville and yeah. you know in medicine shows. Yes, and he's coming and he, of age as the technology is coming. And of he's age. also watching people like Houdini from the wings. Yes, you know. I love that he was he, his family were pals with Houdini. That's such he a great. But crazy. but he but then when he transfers to movies, his performances are so filmic. It's yeah. just all about no, he, owning. He got it. He got the difference. Owning it on screen, and right. he gets the and he gets what can be subtle and small. Yes. Uh, one of my favorite bits in Sherlock Jr. is when he's just like, I, "I lost a dollar," and he's like, "Describe it," and. Then, 
James. Little gestures like rectangles. James, it is. Apparently, there were eagles on the back of the dollar bag. It is my single favorite Buster <laughs> Keaton bit of all time. I that always is right told, at the start of the movie, it's basically. Not, because it's not. Because the callback when first he asks the woman to describe it and she shows the shape of the dollar with her hands and then yes. and a little eagle flap yes. thing. And then later, someone else comes and he's like, oh, a rectangle eagle right. flap. He, he, he does he, it. Right. He, and it's it, hilarious. That, which is always funny <laughs> when someone picks but up. But that's also yes. a very throwaway bit. It is. And that's what makes it so funny is how underplayed it is. And it's for how much, obviously, the the bits that get talked about so much are the incredible stunts or the incredible feats of, of yes. movie magic, right? This is just a little bit of behavioral comedy. 100%. That so indicates this guy's entirely bizarre, specific worldview, right? Yes. His perception of the world is sort of unfolded in this moment where you go like, wait, what does this guy think? Like, what is his internal track of logic? He understands that if someone comes and says they lost something, you need to have them describe it, right? Exactly. What color was your scarf? Yes. Right? What pattern was on your hat? Yes. What material was it made out of? Whatever. And he's doing the same thing, but with United States currency that is uniform. I mean, he's As also, them he's also scheming will... some because right. he doesn't want to give the dollar away because right. he needs right. it to buy the candy. But it speaks to his <laughs> his innate, you know, JJ he wants to get that good candy. JJ well, pulled this up in his research and he was sort of pushing back on it a little bit. But like Keaton said, you know, the 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 Chaplin Tramp character was in it for himself. He did what he needed to do to survive to get by. Sure. You know, there was a lack of scruples, you know, and, and he could sometimes find some joy in getting the better of someone. And you can point out a bunch of examples where Keaton breaks his own rule in this sense, but he was like, fundamentally, I tried to make my character an honest guy, you know, who kind of can't do the wrong thing. And in that moment, it's like, there was a reason he could use this money. It would be so easy for him to keep the money. The thing he's asking them to prove as a test that it is their money right. actually makes no sense. It doesn't prove anything. Right. And he still concedes it and goes like, what am I going to do? They and that's the thing. Eagle. And that's what uh, that's part of that serenity thing is right. he does. He does concede. So yeah. if a, a, a house falls on him yes. and he lives, he's like, oh, I guess a house fell on me. And I guess well, I don't least, have a house. Anymore. I guess I don't have a house anymore. Yeah. And uh, uh, he's sort of he's sort of serenely resigned in his yeah. way. It's, uh, it's like the greatest sort of tiny encapsulation of his comedic sensibility. For and me, the other that thing moment. is that that's this is a great point you're making. Yeah. And the other thing is he's his character is practical. Yes. It's his character is always all right. There's a situation here. Right. How can I fix this situation? Yeah. Uh, uh, it's delightful when Chaplin makes whatever potatoes dance. Yeah. But Keaton wouldn't do that because no. it's not practical. No, it's showy. Uh, it's showy, and Keaton's not. Keaton's yeah, like, Keaton's what's the problem? How can no. I solve yeah. it? Yeah, and or then, whimsical of course, or whatever. And then, of course, Buster Keaton, the director and performer, is loves the mechanics of things. Right. And and so he also reduces himself to a mechanical object. Yes. And then, uh, so there's there's a wonderful kind of there's like a real mechanic sort of almost math oriented approach. Frankly. If you'll allow me, please. I think he's a little Kubrickian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because he's such a highly technical and like takes so. And there's long and once he's making, making features, things. there's a beautiful, there's a wonderfully formal, yes, sense yes. of framing. He doesn't and there's the there's kind of there's a coolness where if say if and I'm not saying either these are good or bad. They're apples and oranges. But yeah. Chaplin is very very warm. Yes, and Keaton is very cool. 
which, and you know, the emotions are, are more under the surface. No, it's true. And Chaplin, the emotions are right at the so surface. So there's a history of, sweet. like, yeah, the Coen brothers, yes. Wes Anderson. There's mm-hmm. a certain kind there's of a rigorous room. control of the frame. Right. And I think Anderson's, like, deeply influenced by Buster. It does. It, would, yeah. would, and that rigorous control so. can also yeah. be very funny, which also Kubrick understands. Right. But it's, like, it's setting the frame. The tension is in the frame itself. And so if things exactly. are disrupted... Yes. Right. And then these small moments also. But that's such a great point because he's so good at the tiny throwaway moments. Yes. And he, as he's also like fucking James Cameron as an action director. But like how He's the whole you, package. The other thing is that that bit with the dollar bill and the lost wallet, right? It's like- Which it is, is the beginning of the movie. He's a just yeah. set up. He's a projectionist yes. at a movie theater. He's also a budding detective. He loves and he, mysteries. And, and yes. he's the all-purpose workman in the theater. He also has to sweep it. He does uh, it all. Yes, the, and the original title of this movie was The Misfit, and that's sure. he's a bit of a misfit. Yeah. Um, but yes, and but he uh, wants to buy a, his girl some candy. There's a candy shop next and door. And a dollar. And they have, uh, they have cheap candy, and they have... Nice. Candy for a dollar. They have candy for four dollars. Four dollar candy, which and he wants to impress her with the good. Oh, that's some forget that's it. Some pricey yeah. candy. It's like fifty bucks or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It truly is. Um, that's and, like gold leaf. That's like yeah, exactly. Right. It's fancy ass candy. Yeah, fancy ass kind of phrase. Uh, yeah. you, you know, you get F-A-C. some diamond tweezers to eat it with. Um, yeah. and uh, and he finds a dollar in the garbage. Right. And, and this is part of his duties. People take out their wallets or whatever, and yeah. it's, it, it's assumed that this is a normal thing. This is one of the perks of yes. being the janitor. Now and then he'll find some money on the floor. Right, which, once again, Chaplin would not only not hesitate for a moment to pocket the money, he would pull the wallet out of the back pocket of someone. Yes. Right? Because it's like it, Chaplin's No, that's character... right. Chap, the Tramp is a bit of a scoundrel, but uh, Keaton isn't a scoundrel. And I think, no. I think the Tramp is so much a character living in the wake of the Great Depression, right? It's this idea of, like, he, he represents the desperation yes. in America of just, like, whatever it takes, right? right. Like, whereas uh, Buster is up against what's coming next. He's up against modernism, technology totally. coming to his face. Let me give you some context. Please. Just, just so we can have a little bit of context I on Sherlock context. Jr. It was called The Misfit. hmm it's eventually, obviously, changed to Sherlock. Jr. His first to Sherlock Junior titles, yes. Um, and there's a satiric play apparently called Merton of the Movies. Okay. Uh, which Keaton had seen and had a bit of this vibe. Alliteration is always good for a title, so mm-hmm. it has that in, in its favor. Um, but I guess it's really just about like, uh, you know, I think that may have given him the idea for like. A story set around a movie theater and maybe the meta idea that he then gets to. Sure, right? which obviously uh, doing it on film is going to hit very differently than doing it on the stage. Exactly. Apparently Keaton never met an idea he didn't like. Wow. Hey. Thanks. You, you can, the door is there. <laughs> you know, it's easy. You can let yourself out. Um, obviously, as he has said, his best quote about this movie, I feel like is that they, the, the reason for making the whole picture is the dream sequence. Yep. Like that is, that is what yes. is. And a lot of them juice. were, there were magic bits that he knew from vaudeville, from Houdini and mm-hmm. other magicians. And he, and apparently he was like, well, the only way to sell that in a movie is for that to be a dream sequence. Right. Because he needed everything to be grounded in the real world. This is what I love is like, you know, some of the early films you have stuff like the lion and the stop motion dinosaur, the things that are more as he calls a cartoon gags, right? And as his career evolves, he goes like, you lose the audience. If you're, if you're, it's not a short, it's a feature and you really need him to care about the characters 
and invest in the stakes, those kinds of gags break the reality and you don't, you lose the audience, even if they laugh too at that. Magic. Yeah, Famously, too there was a sequence in The Navigator that he cut because it was just pure gag, which yeah. we can discuss we can, later. Yeah, yeah. and even that. stuff like the waterfall in Our Hospitality, it's mm -hmm. like, I, that, you can impress an audience, but it's sort of like you, you win the battle, you lose the war, maybe in terms of the, the larger strength of the film yeah. at whole. And then this is the movie where he cracks upon, like, can you set up this reality versus fantasy right. dichotomy where the fantasy exists as an extension of reality, so you're still keeping the same narrative threads, you're still keeping the emotion and the tension, but you're suddenly giving yourself the leeway for the middle 25 minutes of the movie to do any of the cartoon gags you want. Right, because now you're in a fantasy world. Yeah. Of sorts. Anything can happen in a movie. Um, the most famous behind-the-scenes thing about this movie, obviously, is that Roscoe... Patty Arbuckle mm -hmm. was brought on as a co-director or whatever, as a sort of, you know, contributor. Uh, and he joins the picture and the way Buster relates it in his memoir is basically that he was just not funny anymore. Like he'd been so washed up and ruined. Yeah. This is by post everything. his post the trial. Yeah. Um, and clearly Keaton was sort of trying to like, you know, throw his old friend, uh, you know, some help. Yeah. Uh, the uh, that's and this is the movie where he came up with uh, William B. Goodrich, which was his like nom de plume for directing uh, Freddie Arbuckle. The joke being, "Will be good." Yes. Well, I'll, I will be good this time. Uh, right. Uh, can I just read quickly because uh, Dana yeah, did yeah. so much table setting for us on uh, both the first main fit episode and the Patreon episode. The one thing I forgot to bring up with her, and I emailed her for the follow up, was because we should just acknowledge it. Uh, we're doing this series on the films of Buster Keaton as a director. On most of these films, he has accredited co-director. Yes, although usually he hated them. Yes. And fought with them and sort of would fire them or run roughshod right. over them. Very yes. often it was the studio would say, we want someone reining you in. Yes. We want someone who's sort of got their and eye on the ball. he would be like, this guy ain't funny. Right. Yeah. And he would sort of find a way to make them quit. But Dana just wrote very concisely, uh, basically all you need to know is that he used a co-director on many of his independently produced films in order to have someone stand behind the camera while he was in front of it. Makes sense. In our modern sense of the term, he was still the director. Most of them came from his stable of regular gag writers. A few were put in the slot by Joe Skank. But whether or not BK gets credit or co-credit as a director, if it's a movie made by a studio between 1920 and 1928, it's his ideas being executed on screen. Right. I think part of it was the studio wanting someone to mitigate, but also part of it was him being like, sometimes I just need a guy to sit in the chair. Sometimes I want to focus on the gag and I need someone who's actually communicating my wishes to the crew. And the ones he worked well with were the guys who had no ego about it, understood I'm sort of a means of communication for his ideas. Yes. Anytime anyone came in with their own ideas, he would basically He'd be like, get them funny. to quit. Right, exactly. He'd be yeah. a pain in the ass, it seems Yes, he'd like. be a pain in the ass. The th now, according to Buster, it was mm -hmm. Roscoe who was like irritable and impatient and snapping sure. at people and yelling at people and was no fun. Mm -hmm. And they essentially, according to Buster Keaton, conspired to get him a different job on a different movie okay. called The Red Mill. Now, historians have been like, the movie The Red Mill is can't have been it because that came out like three years later. Sure. So maybe Buster's memory is not uh, perfect on that. But clearly they got rid of him. Yeah. Um, but that does not hang over the movie really in any way, obviously. Yeah. Um, so that that's uh, all going on now. Sherlock Jr. Yeah, I do think it's his best film. Uh, I, it has become his most popular film on things mm -hmm. like The Sight and Soundless and mm -hmm. all that. I feel like it's supplanted the general. Yes, as sort of the critic consensus. Mm -hmm. 
perfect Keaton movie. When did you first see it, Old Griffey? When did I first see it? I think I must have seen it in the sort of previously discussed high school TCM Buster Keaton marathon. But then I remember uh, my very, very brief tenure at film school, uh, California Institute of the Arts. I had a teacher named Gary Mayers who taught a seminar, film history class, and there was the one week that was, you know, the the greats of silent comedy, and he played Chaplin's 2 a.m., which for my money is still the best thing Chaplin ever did wow. over his features. I don't know if either of you have ever seen that. No, never. I don't know that I, one. I think you mean 1 a.m. I'm sorry? Yes. yes, I do. Yes, 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 yes. I have heard of it. Never. That's a very old, uh, yes. that's like one of the first non-tramp movies yes. right he's playing someone and else. it's 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 uh he's he's playing a a, a sort of uh rich uh stuffy lush but it's it's more keatony in its uh directing style and it is just this lush coming back home from a night out on the town in his carriage back to his mansion and he cannot get upstairs right he is so drunk he cannot get upstairs and when chaplin started out in vaudeville in england his first character was called the inebriate that was he his, was a drunk guy he so does drunk calling on that anybody yeah. was his sort of immediate foot in the door but it's just like 20 minutes of every possible gag of Chaplin not being able <laughs> yeah. to make it upstairs. And most of it plays in this big wide shot where there's this royal staircase that goes down on both sides yeah. so we can go up one and overshoot it and fall down the other and all of that. And then they played Sherlock Jr. And it was one of the movies that this, you know, uh, Professor Gary Mirror said, there are certain movies I've, I'm screening as part of this series that I even think a lot of you will have seen before, but I think it is important to specifically have seen them in a theater. Certain uh, movies sure. just play differently. And he was like, yeah. you can watch Rear Window at home and appreciate You've it. You've talked about that, right? right. Him, him saying in a theater it's different. It was a completely totally right. transformative experience for me. And Sherlock Jr. was a similar thing where I was like, I watched that. I'm going through my Buster Keaton checklist. It's very good, obviously. Sure. But seeing it up on a big screen because of that moment where you watch him enter into it. He goes into the movie, guys. He goes it's into the, big the fucking thing that movie. happens in so, the movie. So then that was like the moment where I went like, oh, this is one of the best things ever made. This is this is basically on par with anything ever created in this medium. And do you remember moments in that getting laughs from the crowd like is that a memory that's a good question yeah right no i do because it was that thing too of just like that is the most laugh out loud part of the movie when it keeps changing the background keeps changing i mean to me this opening dollar bit yeah yeah, like well the dollar bit's so funny but like because that's so early on right and in a, a situation like that you know you do even at film school when people are serious minded you you do come up against the thing the dreaded thing of uh, uh, audiences who think they are hipper than the old films they're seeing at a repertory yes. theater, laughing at them because they're antiquated or odd, right? Or heightened in tone or style. And it's not like a silent comedy playing poorly for a young audience isn't going to play with them laughing derisively. It's going to play with them not laughing at all and being like, this is lame. This isn't funny, right? right? It's going to be awkward and right. shifty. Or I'm yes. just watching this through a historical perspective. This is just understanding context of film history. Do homework. Right. Uh, and, and Buster uses so few uh, intertitles. He talked about that, that like, in, in this day, the average silent film had about 250 intertitles. 
and he never went above 55 in any movie. That's that's also a good because some of the some of my favorite small moments are moments where people are talking and it's clear what they're saying right. just yes. from context and occasionally from seeing their lips and you yes. don't need the title and it's funnier that way. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Like I I the titles sort of if there's 250 it's it's interminable like right. it just makes the movie feel he mostly so, do so, it so for stayed. table setting. Yes. Establishing really who the characters are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it's th- for but major this, plots. This stuff. dollar yeah. bit has, I mean, it's I probably it why this is so stuck in my head as like the moment for me. Uh, she comes up, she goes, I lost a dollar. He takes it out. He looks down at it. He looks over his shoulder, like hides it away so she can't <laughs> see. Right, and then he sort of snaps back at her, and it's one of the only times he sort of gets a little He's like considering being a rascal. He has a little yes. attitude, yeah. Right, like I don't know if I trust you, and you see him bark something at her, and then the title comes up that just says "Describe it." Period. <laughs> a yes. great line, right? And yes. I just remember that getting a huge laugh, and suddenly the whole audience being in sort on of, it. Yeah, and sort of settles down and is like, "Okay, okay, wait a right. second." Right, and the setup of this one is just so simple because, as in. As opposed to most Buster movies, and Navigator is a perfect example of this, where it's like there is a thing that either his love interest demands he do to prove his his masculinity, his maturity, his stability to her, or he takes on or finds himself accidentally in some world he doesn't quite understand to try to prove himself to her. This one is just he wants to show her that he likes her. He doesn't understand that he's not that he's maybe at a disadvantage, right? right? He's sort of oblivious to the rivalry to a certain degree. But uh, it's it's just he likes her. He wants to find the right way to show her. Um, and the stakes of that are so simple. He's hapless. He's hapless. No hap. He's hapless. Uh, he doesn't have any hap. What is... His hap game why, why, is quite, why is that is quite bad. <laughs> His hap game is weak. Hapless. Yeah. What is... From hap, the... Uh, middle English for good fortune. Nary a hap, you might Nary say. Nary a hap. Uh, yes. It's um, a way to describe Buster Keaton's persona. He is somewhat hapless. Uh, yeah, and uh, the the then the guy, right, he, he he gives away his money. Someone else comes and sifts through the garbage and gets lots of money. An yes. old lady uh, uh, exploits her old ladiness to right. garner sympathy from him. Yes. So much money lying then in Then a bully finds a whole wallet. Yes. A bully rejects. Then that's a great also... Follow up where a, a big bruiser comes along and Keaton's just like, "Here's a dollar." Right, right. right. He just fucking <laughs> right. gives it to him. <laughs> and then, and then the other thing that uh, Keaton always does. Yeah, Keaton is great at the the Simpsons style plus joke. Yes, there's the joke, and right. then there's the joke. You on think top it's of over? That. Yeah, and he he does that kind of thing consistently. There's always an added joke. I've definitely said this before in the podcast at some point, but I remember Kamel Nanjiani saying in some interview. You go into these meetings when you're trying to like develop a screenplay, especially for a comedy, and everyone talks about these save the cat moments and how to make a character likable and sympathetic, right? Right. right. And and he was just like, for a comedy, I feel like the opening of any comedy movie should be a a guy accidentally spilling hot coffee on himself. Mm. Like that's when I relate to a guy. Like is, in, maybe an intern dropping like a whole well, you know case full of them. That was too much though. Too they much were like because right. then the audience didn't like Kevin Costner. I was the most sympathetic because I dropped twelve cups of coffee. Costner is actually so mean to you in that movie. Incredibly, I mean, mean, obviously he apologizes. Yeah, he's the villain of the piece. Um, 
Uh, okay, so he buys his uh, but the, his but sweet. This is, okay, this okay. is what I'm saying is that like Buster just starts out and he's under the boot, he right? Is, Everything's like fucking him and over. He's hapless. At one point, I think he has maybe four dollars on him. By the yeah. end of the sequence, he's only got the one. He, he gets buys... the bruiser the dollar, and the guy's like, "I don't want your dollar." Right. The guy looks for two seconds, finds a wallet full right. of cash, which is very yes. funny, and walks in off. the yes. trash. And that's uh, life, man. That's, that's life. life. I feel like I'm the guy that never finds the wall. And that's, that's, we are all the guy who but doesn't find the wall. But this is my point. I'm just like, as much as he talks about, I don't try to manufacture audience sympathy, right? This right. movie starts and everyone goes like, I have at some point felt the way this guy feels at this moment. Yes. Um, absolutely. No, uh, and he has the great gift of, of having us, he draws you to him. Yes. Without, uh asking you to lean into him. He just he just has that mysterious, ineffable and, uh, management of energy that makes you lean into he him. He doesn't indicate that you need to do the work to try to figure out what's going on in his head because he's not going to necessarily spell it out to you. Yeah. It is sad, though, that he, you know, the, it's, it's, it's poignant that he buys this dollar chocolate and then he writes it, you know, to make yeah. it a four. It turns the one to a four. Yeah, it's, 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 and then of course it ends up backfiring. Sealing because, his fate in right. that particular situation. Yes. Um, is he set up later? Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so the setup is, and it is complicated. The villainous chic yes. steals the dad's pocket watch, mm -hmm. pawns it for four bucks, yes. buys a $3 box of chocolates, yes. uh, and then puts the pawn ticket into his, you know, $4 box of chocolates. And the right. chic's so his, named because uh, a la Rudolph Valentino. Right. Yeah. The sheik doesn't have any man. money either. He's a player. Yes. He's a fuckboy. He's a fuckboy. He is. You talk about how modern these but films he doesn't, are. He doesn't have any money. Buster understood the fuckboy a century but before. But he, he's, he's, he's nattier. He yes. has a cool mustache. Yes. Well, he's he's more facade. overtly masculine. Yes. yes. He's um, kind of better dressed. Yeah. He's it better is, dressed. Uh, he's played by uh, Ward Crane, right? I mentioned mm -hmm. him. Uh, Ward Crane, a great monosyllabic name. Oh, I quite great, like that really name. good. Yeah. Good actor name. Um, Ward Buster's, Bond is also a good act, Ward name. Well, mm -hmm. yeah. with the, always good to have a monosyllabic last name if your first name is uh, Ward. Ward Bond, uh, you know, he's Bert the Cop, right? Um, but they, they, in, uh, but they keep him out. They're outraged. Yeah, also, uh, Buster's dad is playing the dad, right? Yes. Like the dad of the sweetie. Yes. Uh, and Catherine um, McGuire plays the girl. Catherine McGuire, who I think is very good in the movie. I yeah, really I agree. Like Catherine one of his McGuire. best yeah. Very, She's very natural. She's yes. very game. She was she's very sweet. They have genuine chemistry together. She was they do. very, very small. She was like five mm. feet tall, maybe. Yeah. And so she reads well against Buster, I think. Yeah. But she struggled generally. because like, I guess how, how tall is he? He's like five, five. He's right. very Because she actually, for some reason, but she's she has a willowy quality. So she reads as tall. Yes. And she was a dancer. That was how she was trained and you can kind of see that the physical you're saying she's very game yes. for the physical stuff yes the the deck chair bit in the navigator right where she's unconscious is actually really funny in that scene but here's here's like a a thing that i think is so smart in the sherlock jr construction which is why it's like his perfect uh vehicle rather than it being this outside societal pressure right you need to become a soldier. You need to join the army. You need to learn this trade. I, you know, you need to become you a... You need to battle the Alabama murderer. Right. This is a future episode. Right. It's just, he loves mystery novels. He does. Right? He's reading them. This is just his He's own He's reading about life, how to be a detective. His passion. And then he realizes, oh, I'm in the type of setup. There is a mystery now. I am the one who's been framed. Right. I need to use the thing that I'm reading... So you have, I mean, it's like a really, you know, uh, uh, without having to do intertitles, you're able to cut into the book with its sort of numbered list of how to crack a case. And you understand the steps of what is he 
reading he should do next and how is he going to, if not misinterpret it, heighten it to a weird degree. Shadow your man, right? Yeah, right, right. In his mind, that means you have to literally do every single thing this guy does yes, one inch to, behind him. close two, walk, which is— Two seconds behind. He also loves the close walking thing he does it in other movies, too. It's so good. But, like, it, it, you get to, you know, he's, he's puffing on this cigarette, unaware that Buster's behind him. He throws the cigarette over his shoulder. Buster catches the cigarette, starts puffing that, on it. That— is such an incredible gag because you just don't understand how he catches it. No. And yet, he catches it so seamlessly. And Ward Crane is also oh, very God. good in the stalking scene, in the shadowing scene. Yes. Because his physicality is great. And they're... they're it's like six inches tall. Yeah, and, right. they're, and they're paralleling each other just in terms of their step and cadence. When they both trip at the same yeah. moment. Yeah. It's really good. And by the way, he's not reading a mystery novel. It is an instruction. No, oh, right. you're right. You're right. You're right. And yes. it's actually the yes. first Sorry. joke in the movie, which I love. It's actually one of my favorite film jokes, yeah. which is... We see a master shot of him in the back of the theater by mm -hmm. himself, and then they're close up, and he's reading a book titled How to Be a Detective, right. yes. which I think is really It is very funny. Yes. After that title, it's like, some people try and do two things, even yeah. though you're not supposed yeah. to. And, and then he takes the book down, and he's he got a fake a mustache, yes. and then he puts his fingerprint on the book. Yeah. He licks his thumb to make a print, and then, so he's got two tools already, a disguise and a magnifying glass. But He's yeah. set. He gets hoisted. By his own petard, because yes. the the it's the guy reads the book, yeah, and the book says search everyone, right, and so the guy gets him into detective mode, and then you know then they're like, well, we have to search you too. Yeah, the sheik has he, stolen the wallet of the father, and he's stolen the of watch, the, girl. Oh, the watch, and rather. he's yes. put the pawn yes. ticket onto Buster, yes, and so when they search Buster, yeah, he they pawned find it, the and that and he pawned it for like, four bucks, for four bucks, and bought candy Buster, for four bucks. Wrote four on right. his How, how else could you have gotten four dollars on? And so he is exiled in nineteen twenty-four. Like his one kind of innocent lie is the thing that does him in, which is he pretends he spent more money than yeah. he did because right. he doesn't want to be embarrassed. He pushes the boundaries, right, of ethics, right. Yeah. Whereas the other guy is, you know, four <laughs> times as dishonest. The, but yeah, oh, he's a cat, a fuckboy. Yes. The he's end a fuck of the shadowing gag where he's following this guy is yeah. so funny because the guy stops and turns around and looks at him as they've reached a Pacific, you know, train yeah. or whatever. And Buster just has to go like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Buster's you know, like, oh, hey, man. Away right. and walk <laughs> but right it seems like he's angry car. a little yes. bit. Like, he's like, get out of my way. I'm trying to board this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here I am. Yeah. Going, and the guy just immediately locks him in there. Yeah. And this is where we have the gag that almost killed poor Buster King. Yes. yes, then the uh, first spectacular physical sequence of the film. Um, which is this, yeah, this big water. Well, first tower. he's walking on top of the train. Yes, right, he's walking on the car. And staying kind of like perfectly positioned in the frame. In the middle, yeah. I mean, this is the Wes Anderson Thing. water thing to like leap over the tree. Yeah, you so talk brilliant. about clean lines in his performance style but also in his shooting style and it's like this whole gag works on him constantly being dead center in the frame yes and he has to maintain dead center of the frame exactly. in a wide shot by keeping a very consistent speed the amount so eventually the train is gone and yeah. so he's holding onto this thing and it spews water and it knocks him down yes the amount of water that comes out is so comical yes you assume it had to be a joke, and instead you read, no, like, no one knew that much water yeah, was going to come out. <laughs> and it pulverized him. It, he literally breaks his neck, doesn't finishes the shot, which Gets has two, two other guys right, coming he along. He runs around, yeah. yeah. Like, uh, I, I, two other guys drive by and get wet, and then they get yes. mad at him, and they chase him yeah. in the into the distance. And then he's like, okay... Moving on, there and then years thing. later, he yeah. finds that he was seriously injured. You he wonder found if he was like... 14 years later. He's unbreakable. I, I was going to say, he's like David Dunn. <laughs> yes, he's like David Dunn, but it was... 
many years later, someone took an x-ray of him and was like, you have broken your, like at some point at you some broke point, your neck. There's right. a callus over your vertebra. Right. This and, healed poorly. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, yeah. The title card says, as a detective, he was all wet. I'm funny. Very punny. That's the other thing. He'll use, if he uses intertitles, it's often for a joke that can only be done verbally, but a joke that right. is from the, sort of the the um, that is omniscient narrator of the film, someone, not dialogue within the story. Someone in our Reddit posted a clip from The Frozen North, which is one of his old shorts, mm -hmm. um, in which he is like some sort of, you know, frontiersman who yes. comes back to a cabin. I think that's sort of his Nanook of the North parody. It's the joke is insane. He sees yeah. like a a woman sitting with a man at fireplace. He looks furious and he shoots both of them. Yes. Then walks over and goes. And then the title card says, "Wait, this isn't my wife." <laughs> right. And it's like such a dark joke. Yes. Very funny, but obviously the title card actually does contain the entire joke. And later in the film, uh, which yeah. is the rare. film, when he's Sherlock Junior in the movie within the movie, his assistant is named Gillette. And Gillette's title card says, Gillette, a gem who was ever ready in a bad scrape. And Gillette, as you know, was a razor company. Yes, of course. Yes. But uh, ever ready Bucket and gem were also razor companies at the mm. time. Oh, that's so you oh, have three that's over my and head. bad scrapes. Yeah. So you yeah. have some razor punning now, just for a little extra. Just a little. You liked the name Ward Crane. Yeah. Do you know who played Gillette? Uh, no, I don't. Ford West. Oh. Another good name. That is such a 1924 actor it sounds name. like a command that you give some sort of pioneer. Yes, yeah. Ford, Ford West. West, young man. Um, so, yeah, so he goes back to the projection booth, right. and this he is goes where back to his, he falls his first asleep. Job. Right, yes. so this is like minute 16 of the movie. Correct. We've set this character up. He's as low as he can possibly be. His attempts to try to be a detective have backfired on him. His rival's a step ahead of him. He's pulled pages from the same fucking book. Yeah. Anything Buster tries to apply to try to catch this guy in the act, the guy is a step ahead, right? Right. And so now it's just back to his job, his shitty existence in which he's now going to astral project himself into yes. the film, the version of reality in which he's able actually to accomplish what he wishes he could accomplish. He's back in his so-called zone of comfort, right. which right. is being a schlemiel. Yes. And it's the end of act one. Right. And now he's going to cross the line. You see, you see his sweetheart before that go to the pawn shop. Yeah, she's on his side, essentially. She figures it out. This herself, is also right. the uh, kind of a great joke of the movie is that she then proceeds to solve the, the mystery. Yes. Right. He does nothing. He yes. does nothing. And right. she's, she's just like, off who pawned this to you? And he's right. like, that guy. And then that, that guy, <laughs> right. much like Ving Rhames in Pulp Fiction, just happens to walk by at that moment. <laughs> he yes. goes it's, through... It's Pulp Fiction, of course, the total reference. <laughs> yeah. He goes through the, the narrative pawn satisfaction of The use of coincidence. But in a pawn <laughs> shop, that, that sequence is in a pawn shop. Yes, it's Pulp Fiction. No, it is. Yes. He goes through like the narrative sequence of accomplishing something, right? right? And of like triumph. And then basically he wakes up out of the dream and he feels his catharsis because everything has fixed itself. And he's figured it he all was out asleep. what happened to him. But his unconscious was able to do the thing that he kind of couldn't. And do. presumably he's he's seen this film many times Hearts because he's the projectionist. Right. So yes. right. he, it's a silent film, so he doesn't hear it, but he knows the story. So now, in a dreamlike way, he is now, and we see the characters in this movie uh, well, transition this, into people right, from they, his they life. They turn elegant. around, yes. they, turn, they, they show our bat, their bat, yes. and then when they turn back around, they've turned into the actors. By the way, when the movie starts, real it's a kind yeah. of Victorian melodrama with different actors. Hearts yes. and Pearls. And it's called Hearts and Pearls, mm -hmm. the lounge lizards, 
something. Uh, sure. Yes. Not a, not a movie I would rush the to. The Land Ledger's Lost honest. Love in go. five parts, which yes. is telling us it's a feature, I guess. Yeah. Maybe probably. Yeah. And it's and also there's another joke that I looked up, which is it says uh, V-E-R-O-N-A-L. It says Vernal Films Company. Mm. And Vernal was a sedative. It was like a sleeping pill. It was a brand. Okay. Oh, so it's, it's, it's a barbiturate. So yes. it's Jeez, boring. That's are funny. these typewritten notes? Are, this is these are very involved. <laughs> you brought like a. These are. I have a printout of basically wow. a plot synopsis. Okay. Oh sure. Okay. okay. And then I have little notes written within that. Okay. Just right. so I can keep track of the I was story. Like, Geez, we got to yep. get to these. No, I mean, look I at this. It's it's good. Single I, space. I, got a marble notebook. I, I, yeah. yeah, I have a marble. I'm trying to. I, I'm. I should have brought an apple for you. By the way. <laughs> well. <laughs> In the good student tradition. You have this great double exposure of him waking up out of the dream and he's sort of this uh, astral projection version of himself, right? Uh, that they, that they, they see through like a ghost or yes. a dream figure. Uh, my, my beloved uh, Quarter Crew YouTube channel did uh, a video uh, fairly recently where they went through this movie specifically and talked about three of the sequences. And they were more stumped trying to figure out the special effects of Sherlock Jr. than most modern movies. They hold up big time. I watched yes. this with my when I was watching this with my son. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, he loved it, and at, at one point he said, "If I was, I we're like, oh, this movie's, uh, you know, it's twenty four, it's it's a yeah. hundred years old." Yes, and he said, "If I was watching this a hundred years ago, I would have been flabbergasted." That's how he put it. Insane. But people are still flabbergasted. Right. Like. They did it essentially just by building a set yes. uh, of the film. Yes. And lighting it so differently that it looks like it is not a set. It looks like, so It looks great. like it is being projected. Well, yeah. I mean, there, there are a couple things going well, this on. This is the first thing. You know, him walking yeah. into the screen. It's it's all a lighting well, effect. Well, I'm even saying before that, when he wakes up oh, well, and sure, the spirit and he, body yes, comes out, basically himself, right. in like a proto-green screen way, they... I, I'm getting wrong which way it would have been. They shot, I think, the ghost part first on the set uh -huh. in the right positions, but they covered everything in the set with black velvet. Yeah, this is, well, that's what they did for, um, what's the short where he plays all the- Playhouse. The, the Playhouse as well. They, right. they would do that where they had to mathematically, like, right. they had to use surveyors By tools way, and all yes. that. Shout out to his long-term DP, who was named Elgin Leslie, who mm. shot this and The Navigator and yes. the bulk of his shorts and most of his Just features of this era. Visual and I know they, were, they had a very collaborative relationship. Right. And Elgin Leslie was really into- working with Buster to figure out how to do this stuff. But you have this thing that's just like such a simple theatrical technique of, as you said, you just build the set behind right. the proscenium of the movie theater in this wide shot, light it differently so it doesn't look like it's a, a deepened part of the same right. image. It looks like it's a projected flat image, right? And you're watching him walk up the aisle and you go, when are they going to cut? When does this fall apart? And right. he just steps casually into the screen and it feels like a miracle. And you're like, what a beautiful poetic moment. And then the first fucking cut happens. Well, no, first they knock him out. Oh, right. Back which into is the even audience. more. Oh, yeah, they toss and, him out of the movie. And then you an cut to him sleeping. And then, but then we're back to him trying to get back in again. Like, it's yes. very funny that him walking into the screen is this sort of magical cinema moment that's that gets immediately put in deflated. Oscar montages yeah. and, and his, all that. His right. ghost self sees that the movie is transforming. Yes. And then one of my favorite little throwaway bits, the ghost, the transparent ghost taps the sleeping buster on the shoulder. <laughs> right, like, right, get a load right, of right, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then also yeah. when the ghost leaves, the ghost then grabs his ghost hat, which is yes. hanging next to Keaton's actual hat. Yes. But no, the thing that's crazy, right, is he gets kicked out of the movie and yeah. then the movie changes like we cuts to a door. Right. And he, then he runs back in. Yes. 
and you know that's his way into the and then of course and know. then the first great mind fuck sequence right where uh, the image the environment there are a series of cuts yes but buster has not acclimated himself to filmic reality yet no. so buster still exists in our temporal linear world yes but he is now in film world where environments can change in a second. He is immune to edits. So is, regardless yes. of where he is spatially, exactly. in time, when yes. it cuts to a different shot, a different location, a different angle, he will be in the same position of the frame, even if now that suddenly places him at the edge of a cliff City or sitting streets, down on nothing. And then he's on a cliff, yes, and then he's, he's in so the he's ocean. He's going through the wormhole, and it's uncomfortable for and him. And some of these are sets, and some of them are clearly, like, real, like, you know, he's out in the streets with cars whizzing by, and he's actually and he out And he and Elgin Leslie set it up very, very rigorously. You have to. So he's in. He's always in the right position, and apparently, what they did is, if they they had an initial shot of him, and then they like put the film yeah. over the film they were right. shooting, you so they could to. line it up correctly. Right, because it's and off, it's if, really precise, and it looks great. If it's off by a millimeter, there's the one where he's yeah. looking over the edge of the cliff, and then it turns into him in the wilderness, surrounded by lions. Yes, and you're like, well, by its very nature, like at the very least, these shots were done hours apart, if not days apart, if not weeks apart. Right? These are company moves. Yeah, company moves. 100%. Right. There's it's not a like break moving, on the call sheet. Yeah. You're not moving from one soundstage to another. You're not redressing the yes. set. He's by train tracks, whatever the fuck it is. He's in the ocean. There's all kinds of crazy stuff. Right. Yes. It's just kind of astounding thing, and it's off by a, a centimeter. You will have that thing where on the cut, his body pops, the position is Even off a little bit. Years the effect- later, if there's a parallel effect like that, you'll see from other directors, yes. there'll be a little millimeter of movement. There'll yeah. be a little shaking. A little something. Something will be off. Yeah. And it's so seamless. It's nuts. So you saying your son saying like, uh, it, this this would be mind-blowing if you saw this in theaters at the time, right? How did he pull this off on a technical level? Yeah. I think beyond that, if you're an audience and you go, oh my God, he's making jokes about the language of movies. Exactly. Editing, which has now been developed, the art of montage to be a largely invisible thing, that aids storytelling, right? There used to be this belief that you could not cut from one room to another because exactly. audiences that, would be disoriented. And that belief was only a few years ago. Yes. Where they were like, well, won't they be confused if we're in a different room? How do they know it's still the same time? Do they time? think the movie's about, like, teleporting? Exactly. Yes. Right. You cannot cross space and time in this kind of way. You stay within a proscenium arch. Now editing is something we've all gotten used to, and he's making jokes about it. And then you finally, at the end of this sequence, it's just, I just like, I think his greatest technical accomplishment is this sequence as a filmmaker. Uh, And it's also very funny. Yes. It's, I just giggle at every, you know. But it's also, it's him awkwardly making his way through this portal so he can now enter the film and acclimate. And then we find the reality. Uh, So it's him going through hyperspace or whatever. He so rarely does camera moves. But at the end of this sequence, it cuts back to the other two characters in the movie, and the camera slowly tracks in. Yes. And the frame, the masking of the theater screen goes away, and now we're just in the movie. Now we're in it with him. Yes. Now, uh, I do yeah. want to say, whatever's happening in the movie, where they're cutting to all of these different locations, yeah, the, I don't know if that... The movie's poorly made. <laughs> I don't know if that lines up. Then no. it is weird that the movie pauses its Victorian, like, melodrama to be right. like, a bunch of scenes, you know. It becomes a newsreel. Well, the cliffs, yeah. the ocean. Think, Maybe it's I where they want to go on their honeymoon, Maybe. perhaps. I think it's just that 
that he is a foreign element and the film is trying to reject him. Oh, okay. yeah. See, like, I it's like, like antibodies. It's, yeah. it's duck amuck. It's Bugs Bunny fucking with Daffy Duck. Yes, right. because and now, the world because basically, uh, the film is going, the film is now compromised yes. because a man who obeys linear time yes. is in right. a movie. And, right. he's and also, he can't exist there. So the film is kind of. And the it's film kind of tilting is, like a yes. pinball machine. It's transformed. So the people within it have changed. Right. Yes. All that. Yes. And it's it's, 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 a, it's a science fiction. It's a portal <laughs> to yes. another reality. That's the ultimate and expression of the of the key buster tension of of a, a man against modernity. Right. right? Yes. Anyway, uh, then two guys try and blow him up with a, p- a pool ball. <laughs> I mean, they build just this like incredible like fucking thirteen dead end drive. How many booby traps can we place? A very booby trapped parlor? house. But right. the, the the pool thing is so funny. And the first use by the way of what I may refer to as Chekhov's billiard ball. Yes. Right. Because right. it is later uh, brought up again. And I, yes. I do effect. like that we get to see the f- they test one, they yes. throw it at a tree, it blows it up. Right. Yeah. Uh, very good explosion. Right. And then you just have a whole sequence of him being the greatest pool player of all time, potting every single ball right, well, except the for the 13. kind of like tosses it up and like yeah. catches it. And and the butlers clearly like don't even fucking play around. This thing is so volatile. And the, Do not touch it unless also, like, you intend All these vaudeville guys really know how to play pool because W.C. Fields also had a bit in his act where he did uh, uh, eccentric pool, pool and he right. does them in some films. But the pool stuff is incredible. Insane. I also love that he's doing this incredible pool stuff and then will occasionally cut to the guys who are like hiding. Yeah. They think, and the butler will just be like, eh, Oh, and the great thing is, stuff. See, he does the this butler is, is this is also one of the, the, right. the benefits of it being silent and not using title cards yes. is the butler is describing with gestures he, he what he's doing. Thing. Right. <laughs> it went over the, and he's gesturing with his right. hand and, and, you're, it's, and, and very, it's the expressionistic silent acting that you were talking oh about, yeah. which is contrary to Keaton, but it's perfect it's and it's much used. funnier well, especially because these guys are saying he are, got he, he and, it, and their becomes, dopes were against yes. them, you know. Like oh, it's yes. funny that they're being routed here. But it also becomes a sub game, right? Where the main game you're playing is: look at what he's queuing up. In what possible way could he possibly avoid hitting the explosive ball in this scenario? And then the ball defies physics and jumps over it, leaps frogs that one thing. Around, Every other yeah. ball goes into a pocket other than that one. So you're watching first of all with the tension of. How how does he somehow avoid the explosion? And then the second that's done, there's the added comedic tension of, and how the fuck is this butler going to explain what just physically happened? Right. Every time the trick gets more complicated, the funnier it is to see the guy struggle to, like, with his hands gesticulate through it. Yeah, and the and the bomb ball just frozen on the table. Yes. And the other ball grazing by it and never hitting it. Yeah. By the way, I just want to say that when he first enters as Sherlock Jr., mm-hmm. It's, again, a wonderfully subtle transformation because right, in a very Buster subtle way, now. Buster yes. is now a different character and has a completely different energy. And he's trying to play high status now. He's, yes. he's wearing a top hat. He's very yes. well dressed. But also his body language and just his energy is just a little different. Just sort of walking in and taking off the gloves. There's a quiet confidence yes. and even a kind of cockiness. Yeah. He lines that, them again, up. is very subtle. He's sort of eyeballing yeah. them. After this sequence. Yes. There is the very funny title card that by the next day, the mastermind had completely solved the mystery with the exception of locating the pearls and finding the thief. So the, the movie is still undercutting right. him. <laughs> right. But it's right, a yeah. great joke. And great also, joke. like, once again, a joke that only can be made through text rather than using text very as much a crutch so, for and visual And it's gags. a very nice stress reliever for the audience after the whole, you know, is Buster about to blow up, you Let's know. Let's also say in this billiard ball situation, they set up the billiard ball. They also set up this axe that is rigged to uh, fall down when you sit in the yeah. one 
chair yes. and the poison in the shot glass, right? Yes, shot so you're glass, like, these yeah. guys are overdoing it. Why do you need three different ways to kill him? It's unkillable. Yes, but he's unkillable, right? And the more, it, they, they almost keep on sitting down, switching the glasses. It just builds so perfectly. Yes, we just, we, we, we got to keep moving here. Yes, um, yes. Okay, so then there's the car sequence is the next thing with uh, Gillette, right? This is yes. where they're going to kill him in the car, basically, mm-hmm. right? That's the... Right. Um, Gillette, his manservant, who's the yes. guy who's always going to... Uh, he's ever ready. He's a yes. gem. He's going to give you a yes. close shave. He's right. got five blades. Yes. Um, whatever else. You know, he's the best the man can get. But Gillette's his guardian angel who sort of uh, finds a way to keep him out of... Sure, he's his And Watson. Gillette also consistently right. outwits Buster. Buster, yes. there's a running yes. gag where Gillette's right. in disguise and he keep, Buster keeps not recognizing it, him. It allows Buster to win in the movie in the movie without making him too aware of his surroundings because you still do want the constant kind of obliviousness. There's also, when they go to... There's the sort of... Uh, 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 tough guy hideout, right? Yes. Uh, this like uh, goon shack, yes. Where the sheik goes, his his muscle men. This one guy has the most incredible fucking face in the world. <laughs> he looks like a freeze frame of a man being punched in the nose. Like his nose is all yes. the way over on one I side do. of his face. Right, right. That's probably well, how he looked like. Yeah, that. he probably yes. broke his nose a few too many times. Yeah. Uh, why does he jump through the person who's dressed like an old lady again? Why, why because does that he's well, because there's no other well, choice. He's two back reasons. up against the wall. One right. is yes. it was a it was a bit that Keaton saw in vaudeville. Right. Yes. It's a, a magic vaudeville bit. bit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and and this and so he just wants to do that bit. Yeah. But there's a logic to it because he's in a he's it's in a, a way to escape. He and he's, he is now. Now, he is acclimated to the magic of film world, and now well, he also, can do anything. You can see the Matrix code. It's, yes. it's Gillette, too. Like, Gillette is so all-powerful that he can transform space and time in order to help. Exactly. You know, because it is Gillette in disguise as the old lady. Yes, yes. and that's who yes. he jumps through. And then it's an astonishing... Also, I remember seeing that with an audience. Yes. I think I first saw this probably in the 90s. Film Forum had a Keaton retrospective mm-hmm. that I went... I vividly remember seeing The Navigator there. Yes. Uh, but I'm, I I know I saw this, and that really is a what-the-fuck moment when you see it with an audience. Well, when you jump through the like, guy. You, you do not see it coming. Yeah, right. You're not like, <laughs> oh, I get it. He's going to jump through the guy's stomach, like, through a wall. Like no, the- right. You see a guy dressed up as an old lady holding open a suitcase, selling ties. Yes. Neckties. Yes, she's got a She's back thing. up against a fence. He's in a corner. The guys have him, like, cornered. And he jumps through the suitcase into her belly. The suitcase he vanishes, and then the right. old lady right. walks away. The man in the disguise you know, you then walks away from the wall. Yes. Right. Then the old lady walks away. Right. Yes. And yes. she's doing a like. Buster's gone. Yes. Following that is the the sort of you know break, breakneck car sequence where he's like yeah. mounted to this vehicle. Well, you also you have the sort of moment where uh, uh, the sheik kind of like. Fess is up, but doesn't believe that Buster's ever going to do anything about it. Right. You know, which has the gag where Buster jumps through the window and suddenly that transforms into a new old lady. This is before that. Sorry. Right. But they're sure. Yes. I mean, what I remember mostly is just, you know, him riding the car. Yes. Into the barn, bursting through the wall, kicking the sheik through. 
is it the sheik? You know, kicking the guy through the uh, the kidnapper of the lady. Yes, it is the sheik, right? Yeah, right. Well, because he does that I, incredible. I do with they, some of these faces. The butler is is the one who has who has Catherine McGuire. Yeah, that's who it is. Right, it's not the sheik. Uh, actually, basically it's, threatening it's, to it's rape the her. big scary yeah. butler guy. You have he does the crossfade on the side of the goon barn, so you can see open inside of it goon like a dollhouse. Listen Wait, to what us. Better way to describe. No, it. I no, it's it's a bro hut. They have like pictures of fighters on the walls. It's like a celebration of guy culture. Yes. Yes. Right, right, it's right. man cave. It's a man cave, <laughs> it's exactly. Man cave. It's really about fuckboys in man caves. Uh, but so you can see these seamless buster jumping in and out of the window and the car crashing through and all that sort of stuff. But then you get, you get to the bicycle sequence. The Where, motorcycle. Yes. Yes, that's what I was talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, which uh, is just, is very thrilling. Gillette shows up in disguise again. Keaton is, mm -hmm. is alarmed. And Gillette yet again says, it's me. Yes. Get on. Keaton sits on the handlebars of this motorbike, and then as soon as they zoom off, uh, Gillette falls off. There's which... also the bit where he thinks Gillette is like a cop pulling him over. At first right? he does. Yeah. But it, yes. it's five yeah. solid minutes of him mounted yes. to this bike, sitting yes. on the handlebars. It has no driver. Narrowly avoiding death. And, uh, and these it, crazy and the boy is not shots. aware. He's yeah. not aware that Gillette has fallen off. And, and by and, the way, in the yeah. shot where Gillette falls off, it's from the back, and it's actually Keaton falling off. So Keaton did the stunt for wow. the actor who played Gillette. God. It's it's also just it's it's wily coyote logic that's like he can run off the edge of the cliff. Yes. But until the moment where he looks down, right, right he stays yes. up in the air. And now it's a very long, mind-blowing sequence of him sitting on the handlebars of a motorbike that he doesn't that the character doesn't realize is not being driven. And he kind of keeps yelling over his shoulder, yeah, yeah. like, hey, watch out, hey, you're gonna be get careful. Us killed. Yeah, there's, right. there's the car that he looks like he's gonna crash into, but then the car turns out to be like elevated, oh, like he goes yes. under it. And yes. it's a combination of Actual shots of Buster Keaton mm -hmm. driving Harassing. a motorbike, making it by look like sitting he's on not. the handlebars. Yes, and then which it's very important to Keaton in his films to like show stuff that's actually happening. Yeah, but there are some optical effects in that and process shots. Yeah, uh, oh, but, so he's a liar. Okay, well, <laughs> well, these movies anymore. Who among us? But he, uh, but it, it's all very, very seamless, yes. and it's also wonderfully edited because the rhythm of that sequence oh, is just it's hilarious. That's that's what Wonderful. ends with him bursting in, kicking the guy through the barn. Right, that's and then the they end get in the that. car. He lands perfectly, and the car I'm goes sorry. in the water. I know you're. I know we got a second movie to talk about. We do, and it's four forty. I, I just need to call out <laughs> Thomas Murphy Stag Party. Okay. Ah, yes. In the middle of... Another, another more bro-y culture he keeps in this film. I just yes. think it's so funny because you keep on cutting to, here's the new setup. You see him in frame. Here are a bunch of guys shoveling dirt. They're all going to throw it in his face. Here are three cars. And they're all going to narrowly miss him. And that just hard cuts to a bunch of men with a, bunch a rope of men. and yeah. a sign that says Thomas Murphy's yeah, They're having party. a tug of war. And they're having a tug of war. And Buster's nothing, nowhere to be seen. Oh, and you just yeah. immediately know he's going to run through these guys. And now he's going to have a chain of men on a rope. Right. It's like uh, dragging yeah, they're, behind they're, they're, they're getting ready to do a tug of war. Right. Yeah. Yeah, these it just guys. occurred to me that the, God, that the, like a terrible uh, the bicycle party. Chinese yeah. dragon sequence in What's Up, Doc, is yes. a complete oh, homage yes. to this sequence. Yes. What a Ben's Absolutely. favorite movies. Yeah. Ben loves it. I do. Saw it, uh, saw it when it premiered at Radio City Music Hall in the early 70s. Really? Hey, Loved it. You must have been very young, right? I was like nine yeah. years old or something, yeah. Oh, what's up, Doc? Um, yes, right. But but yes, he story. does drag some boys into a river. Mm -hmm. Some 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 tough boys. Yeah, his car turns boys. into like a boat. It, well, but, but then, yes. Eventually. After he right, gets right. the girl, then yes. they're in the car. The car turns into a boat almost immediately. Yeah. And uh, they sail down the river. Yes. And that's and he sort of turns like the the roof of the car into a sail, yeah. which is funny. Yeah, 
and that's when he wakes up. And that's uh, when he wakes up. And does the movie he do is his basically little... done. He's like, got his whole thing figured out. Right. He yeah, shows then he's, up he's back with the girl, and she the the it's she realizes he's innocent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, the very funny. Well, she shows up in the in the theater, the projection book. Yes, right. yes. She's yes. resolved and the whole She's movie. like, I figured it and all out. And then the melodrama is back on. The original film is back on. And Buster uh, then takes his cues from the movie. He sees it's, the guy in the movie hold the girl's hand. hand. Yes. He takes the girl's hand. The guy in the movie gives the girl a genuine romantic kiss. Buster gets her a little peck of a kiss. Well, it's just such a funny comedic build of like, he's there and he's like stumped. He doesn't know what to do. He catches the movie out of the right. corner of his eye. He looks over. He's like, let me copy the movies, right? My whole, yes. I've been living this fancy life in the movies and he copies the move and it feels like, okay, he's in the moment, he's present. And then he like panicked, looks yeah. over and again these to quick, the, the funniest part is, are his quick little checks in, right. when he checks in on the screen in between each shot. moment. It's like beautiful. them in this square, you know, roof. Right. And then but the it's movie. Like, do I have anything on my person that can function as a ring. That's what just happened in the movie. Exactly. And then there's a cut in the film. Yes. And the couple are now with two twin babies. Yes. That are, the father is uh, dandling, I believe is the verb, on his knees. And Buster looks terrified and has no idea Buster how to do looks the next part. and is confused and yeah. scratches his head. Now, my question, it's a great joke. Yes. Now, my question for you is, I have my own take uh -huh. on this. Yes. What's going on there? Your question is, does he not know how babies are exactly. made? Exactly. Or, or, or yes. does he not know how to do it at the speed that yeah, the I movie think is presented? Is he sexually naive no, like Jim Carrey at the end of Dumb and Dumber? Right. Or he has a childlike innocence, so he is not drawn towards sexual situations? My if I may be permitted no, a comparison. No, of, course, of course. Or is something else you going? You are permitted. <laughs> you are permitted. <laughs> one, one comparison pass for yes, you, absolutely. If you wish. But uh, no, I Hand think it it's out more that he's like, well, where am I supposed to get a baby? You know, I think that's the gag. Every other thing he's been able to copy in real time. Even something like a ring that felt like a bridge too far. He found something in his pocket that he could hand to her, right? But the baby thing, it's like, well, then I can't do this right now. Exactly. That's, this is going to take agree. nine months. It's, and it's kind of a callback to, to the portal yes. when he he's, now he's back in linear time. Yes. And he can't just jump cut to, right. I have a baby. And also I think there, I think contrary to him being sexually naive, I think there's also a joke where he's like, Wait, I don't get to fuck her? I mean, right. I just suddenly Wait, have the right, right. It's sort of a joke about you don't get to see that in a movie. Right. right? Yeah. You just cut to the babies. Right. Yeah. That makes sense too. Um, right. Yeah. And I think so. that's the thing. I think aside from the fact that it's just like his tightest film, yes. it has I the really most consistent do think laughs. This is the proper length for these movies. 40 it's to perfect. 50 minutes is really oh. where they should be. And, you and watch the ones it, you that are like, 75, they you get do, a little. They feel a little. Bit and I want to, I agree with you guys. I yeah. think it's a perfect movie. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and it's a it's a it's perfect the marker. movie about the movies. It is, I think, still so insightful on like our relationship to the movies. Us looking to these screens 100%. as projections of ourselves, aspirational, sometimes what we want to be, but also sometimes looking for them to reflect back what we're struggling with in our lives to make sense of our own inner dramas, you know? Sometimes only losing yourself on a big screen in another story is the thing that makes you figure out your own shit. We'll play the box office game, mm -hmm. uh, but a couple things, right? The pools, the pool table, obviously sure. very hard to do. Yeah. Uh, they were working for an hour. They were like, we don't know how to figure this out. And Buster said, it can be done. Give me 15 minutes with those stupid goddamn balls. Uh, he coated the balls with chalk and would just like figured it out like within a and day so, how to do it all. Yeah. Uh, and was just like, camera, move it here. You know, we'll do yeah. that. You know, like, you know, doing that kind of stuff. Now, wait, um, are we playing two box office we games? Are. Because oh, there are yes. two films? Oh, we certainly okay. are. Holy moly. But of course, <laughs> the thing about this movie 
that is the strangest thing is yeah. that it was not that successful. Not kind like, of a flop. It was his first bump as a future filmmaker, basically. Yeah. And the one after this, which we will be talking about his next, which I think hit. we all agree is not as transcendent. No. No. Uh, it's more was very a popular. fun movie. Right. Huge. But this film uh, was, yeah, just kind of did okay. Sometimes mm -hmm. you can't see the forest for the trees did when well you're there critics. at the time. Yeah. So let's... Yeah, I'm not seeing it in But I think everyone's list. like, he got a little too complicated. All he needs is, is a girl in a boat. Put him on a movie where he just does different gags in a boat. Sherlock Jr. has multiple temporalities going on, alternate states of reality. It's making meta jokes about film language. It's got some razor puns. Yeah. This was, and that was edgy shit in its day. Cutting no razor. No one fucking made humor. jokes at the expense of Big Razor. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. So... Uh, this is mid-April 1924, Griffin. Mid-April 1924! <laughs> April 23rd, 1924. Let's look uh, at the box office! All right, so the first film, <laughs> and these box office games are fun to do. We should get you to do a, a voiceover as the announcer of the box office game. The box office the game! Every time. Yeah. Um, this I gotta is, have a name for my character. This is Benedict Groom Boffo. speaking. I feel like Boffo should be in there somewhere. Boff all right, I'm sorry. Benedict yeah. Boffo Groom. Yeah. Thomas Megan is in this film. We've mentioned okay. him in other box office mm -hmm. games, I think, in future Thomas episodes. Thomas Megan. Uh, but he would play, uh, he was a, a popular leading man of the time. This is a romantic comedy. Okay. Uh, and Now, this, uh, is, this is 1924. 1924. Thomas Megan is Thomas in a romantic comedy. Yes, with uh, Virginia Valley. Is it Virginia uh, Valley? What happens in Vegas? Yes, that's what it's called. No, it's called. <laughs> I'm going to guess. Okay, oh, it's please. called Peggle My Heart. It is called The Confidence Man. I like your title better. Well, Peggum Hart was a play like in old timey times. Number two mm -hmm. at the bottom. So, The Confidence Man. So, I'm going to guess he's a Vince Vaughn type rogue. Oh, and at sure. At the end of the movie, he finds love and he sort of moves on a little bit I, from I, his I roguish think ways. You essentially nailed it. That's, yes. that's, he is that's, some that's sort of a con man who eventually goes straight uh, with When the he help finds of a good woman. Confidence Man. Love now, it. It's an age old concept yeah. that still works. Number two is uh, a silent comedy starring one of Keaton's contemporaries, Lloyd? Harold Lloyd. Yes. Okay. Um, it is one of the best known, I think. Is this one Safety Last? No. Is it Speedy? No. The Freshman. No. I think that one came up on a different box office. Yeah. Uh, he's playing a, um, a bit of a, a bit of a, a dweeb or, um, you know, an awkward boy. Um. It's not, it's not Grandma's Boy? No. I didn't know he did one called Grandma's yeah, Boy. Yeah, because I just really saw funny. it. It was playing a phone for him. How was it? Funny. Um, no, it is called. Girl shy. Oh, and uh, the poster uh, sees many girls, and he's holding some flowers, but he's looking yeah. a little shy about it. Uh, have not seen Girl mm -hmm. Shy. So, as opposed to a Vince Vaughn, he's more of a Michael Sarah yes. motherfucker. Yeah, in this one. exactly. He's... We can relate all of them to the kings of 2009 theatrical comedy. These archetype. There are only so many yeah. archetypes um, for the movies. Number three. Yeah. I think it's come up on prior box offices. Mm. It's a Cecil B. DeMille picture. Hello. An epic religious film. Is it original Ten Commandments? It's the original, the original. 1923 Ten Commandments. Incredible. Yes. Who are some of the actors in this? Oh, film? Theodore Roberts, Charles DeRoche, God. Estelle Taylor. Estelle uh, Taylor. The Bush. Estelle Taylor played Estelle Miriam. Estelle Taylor. <laughs> Is Miriam? <laughs> Not seeing anyone uh, as God. Here. No one plays God? 
No, Julia Fay is the wife of Pharaoh. Okay. Um. All right. So that's number three. Number four. Quite a cast. Oh, is a Lillian Gish film. Mm. Hello. Uh, very sexy broken lady. blossoms. I no, mean that's that early. is uh, that is a film. Uh, the wind. Good title, but no. Wind. No. This is a drama. Uh, Lillian Gish and Ronald Coleman. Okay. Uh, early Coleman. Ronald Coleman would become quite a well was a very well known actor in talkies. Absolutely, he's yeah. a talkie actor. He is an Oscar winner. I yeah, believe. stars um, in the, yeah. He is Lost the young, Horizon, Frank mm-hmm. Capra movie. He's the young handsome captain. This is okay. a war film. It seems to be set in Italy. It's called Captain Corelli's Mandolin. That's what it's called. <laughs> no, it's called <laughs> The White <laughs> Sister. Mm. Wow. Bit of a boring title. The White yeah. Sister. Uh, yeah. All right. The next film, I mean, they really nailed the title here because everyone can agree on this thing, is a D.W. Griffith film Okay, about uh, American history. Mm-hmm. Paul Revere, I think, is the uh, Good is a major character. Okay. But you've also got a bunch of other- The British are coming. That was going to be- Ellipses. It is called, and let me tell you, this is a really boring title, mm. America. Wow. D.W. Nice. Griffith was like, he got there. Everybody, first. sit down. Yeah. I'm just gonna make a movie called America. America. Wow, uh, that is the box office for uh, that's you know cream. Who's in America? Give me a couple oh, of names. Come on, Neil Hamilton, Orville oh Anderson. Oh, that I, the poster was like Hamilton Anderson. Yeah. America. <laughs> um, you've got uh, oh Lionel Barrymore. Uh, Hello, legendary Lionel Barrymore. Yeah. Who do you play? Uh, he plays Captain Walter. Bubba, he plays God. A he famous. God. He's. I think he's a British villain. Okay. I love this country, America. No, I will it, bestow my blessings on it. They'd say that silently. He'd just be twirling the mustache. <laughs> you can right. hear his voice. Sipping tea. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Incredible. Obviously, Sherlock Jr. was the main event of this episode, but yes. we should talk about The Navigator. We should. AKA and it's fine to squeeze The Navigator. Both yeah. bits, the yes, movie. That's all it is. Uh, because... It's a fairly long movie. Well, it's about now. Yes, original title, Boat Bits. Boat Bits, the but movie. it is all Boat Bits. That's all it is. It really, I because a lot of his movies, they kind of have this sort of first act that yeah. moves to a new set, you know, a new setting. First act in this is like seven Look, minutes. There's nothing very wrong. Brief, very popular minutes. Lonely Island video that is just one on a boat. ten minute boat bit. He, yeah. he is just talking about being on a boat. That now, ben, basically, this was the I'm on a boat of its day. It is Buster <laughs> just looking at the audience deadpan and going, it's, I am on a boat. It, it on a has boat. a great poster, which is his. Him in a deep sea diving suit yes. looking miserable. And I feel like the Buster in the little sailor outfit remains one of the sort of most popular Buster, Buster images. images. Oh, very like, true. And in fact, I was yeah. at a restaurant in LA you a few a days picture. ago and I sent a picture, yeah. and that is a publicity stole from the I think Navigator. that's often the image that goes out. Because he looks one. like a sad little boy. I mean, yeah. I do think him sleeping uh, at Sherlock Jr., you know, that's a classic. The mustache. And yeah. what happened was somebody in his a company, yeah. uh, w- was aware that this boat, right. which had been like a sort of cargo and passenger boat, was was being retired. That, that was, and they're like, yes. we can use this boat. They're going to... And he said, if you get me the boat, I can come up with come an hour worth of It is so similar to what yeah. the general eventually right. is, where he's like, vehicle? Sure. Right. Let me work this with that. This feels like dry run for the general. General, he finds the oh, no, greater I mean, narrative The general sign. is a real movie. Right. Yes. This is just a series of bits. Yes. This so it's a bit of a step back. Yeah. 
Yes. But also, it's like he was like, give the public what they want. Maybe they think I got too fancy with Sherlock Jr. A lot of the bits are good. So he's also he has one of the great character names in this. And this one, he plays a rich boy. Yes. His name is Rolo Treadway. Yes. And I do think he's good as a fancy lad. We've talked about this. He's good as a fancy lad. We will talk about this on future episodes. It made me realize because that movie is uh, uh, obviously so coded like visually and tonally as a Ray Harryhausen movie. But uh, uh, Chris Elliott and Adam Resnick's Cabin, Cabin Boy, Boy sure. is such a Buster Keaton ones. setup. There you yeah, go. Yeah, right. A yeah, fa- yeah. fancy lad needs to prove that he's actually a tough adult man. Exactly. Very true. Yes. I, I should uh, should rewatch Cabin that movie, Boy. I haven't seen that since I was like a kid. Yeah, it also looks incredible. It's got like amazing stop motion and yeah, like, right, force perspective right, right. giants. Love and all Cabin the, Boy. Boy no, but, well, it could be a Ben story. But they call him a fancy uh, lad in that but movie. Ben, you said you kind of like The Navigator. I did. Because of the boat bits? The boat bits. Yeah, it's got a ton of just slick bits. It's a wet-ass movie. He lives yeah. across the street Splish, from splash. a rich girl. Yes. It's a great joke where his chauffeur drives him across the street right. in a limousine, <laughs> uh, which is really funny. His chauffeur is really great in this. He just, he wakes up, <laughs> he looks really out the window, <laughs> yeah. he sees a young couple that There's just got married. There's lots of funny bits in the movie. Yeah. And he just yeah. decides, I'm getting married today, book the honeymoon. Exactly. And he goes to whom? And he goes, I'll figure that out. Right, I'll go find something. And I'm like, well, the, the rich girl across the who's street, the who's equally sheltered, pampered, right. privileged, yes. and, and clueless about the real world. Yes. And f- for various complicated reasons, mm-hmm. they end up on this boat that no one else is on right. by mis- yes. by some errors. He's shipped out to some war well, country. Yeah, yes, it's, it's all very complicated. She's insulted that he's proposing her just because she, of physical proximity. Sure. Right, convenience. Fair. She rejects him out of hand. Chauffeur's already booked the honeymoon. He goes, might as well take the trip. It's goes a, to the dock. He the gets on the pier. wrong boat. Right, where it's, her um, de- Catherine father. McGuire again, right? It's yes. the same girl it's Catherine from McGuire. Yeah. Her, her father has bought this boat, but does not realize that the boat is being kidnapped. Right, basically. They yeah, all it, end up on the boat together. And it, it doesn't matter why, but they no. end up by mistake, yes. the two of them on this two boat that's riches. being set adrift. Right, yes. and he thinks this is literally a, a honeymoon before him, that this could be a victory lap which then turns into a sad bachelor stag. He wakes up the next morning. They both man, go to sleep, not aware that the right. other is on the boat. He yes. wakes up, goes to the restaurant on the boat, the, yes. the, and claps his hands for service. Yes. There's no one else on the boat. Yes. He's confused. Mm-hmm. And eventually they hear each other. And then they're tra- and there's a great sequence where they're trying to find each other on this abandoned ocean liner. And there's a beautifully choreographed sequence near the front of the ship where they're running up and down stairs and I mean, all in just, real time. You, you can tell it's the thing. These movies were like half written because a lot of it was like, give me the setup, give me the spine. Yeah, and I can come yeah. up with bits on the boat. Because on the day, I'm going to get to the set and I'm going to see spatially where everything is yeah. and how much time we have and all that. Right. And it's better to write bits off of what I know I have rather than come up with ideas and then try to build the circumstances. And this is part of it, them. like, obviously, Sherlock Jr., it just feels like a more personal piece of filmmaking. Yes. And this is just is, this is just more, well, got to make a movie. Yes. Here's an opportunity. We'll do a bunch of boat shtick. And, and Steamboat Bill Jr., which we will get to as his last independent film, is another boat bit movie, but it's a boat built bit movie that's more about the father's that one has a, That one has an actual narrative emotional got, spine to it. Yes. So that's that's a real movie. But right. I feel like there's some fear <laughs> yes, in this yes. movie where he's just like, okay, play you, the know, hits. you guys want me to be funny and in a location. I'll when I saw that. this projected, I remember a small moment that got a big laugh, which is mm. still really funny, which I think is equivalent to the describe the dollar bill moment, which is Cut, they're both the clueless. Car. Well, that's an incredible sequence, yeah. yes. But 
uh, they just, they find each other on the boat. And because mm-hmm. they're rich people, people have cooked for them their whole life. So they <laughs> yeah. don't know how to make breakfast. She doesn't even know how to make coffee. Yeah. So she like puts like on ground coffee beans <laughs> yeah. in, a, in a kettle. But like a really and small And it's like we handful. need water and the yeah. tap doesn't work. So he gets, he finds a bucket and gets seawater. Sea water. Right. And then later they're at breakfast and she's, they've managed to make some sort of breakfast. And he, he takes a sip of coffee and they're in a very Keaton-esque way. He very subtly registers that it's disgusting. Right. He gets up, leaves. Obviously, we don't see it, but obviously to vomit, presumably, off the right. uh, deck. Then he comes back, and when he comes back, he makes a gesture saying, I had to make a phone call. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the other thing that's like incredible about that is, as you describe it, that is not inherently a silent film bit, right? That is a bit you could absolutely do in a talky sure. comedy, and you would just spell it out more. But it's it's what you said, the lean-in quality of his uh, odd, unreadable energy, yes. right? And then him gesturing like an old-timey phone with right. like the two, you know, the two hands right. showing. And he just goes like, makes the phone gesture. And I remember that getting a big laugh when I saw it projected. But there's just a specificity to these uh, uh, characters. And then it's now, right, the, the classic buster setup we talked about. I need to figure out how to become a proper seafaring man. Right. I need to assume the role. I'm going to wear the outfit. I'm going to figure out how to make my way around. By the way, I just want to note, I have it in my notes here, that Catherine McGuire's father in this, Mm -hmm. Frederick Vroom, is played by an actor named Frederick Vroom. V-R-O-O-M. Very good name. Fate did not make him a race car driver. I don't know why. Yes. He was a a Nova Scotian film actor. That makes sense. The double O's. The rooms. He also might have just truly been too big for cars. Ah, that there was rooms over there. Vroom. Yeah. Trying to do a Nova Scotian. One thing about this movie that's interesting is it's co-directed by Donald Crisp. That's right, a, it is. a dramatic actor and director yeah. who plays Ulysses Grant in The Birth of Birth a Nation. Nation. Mm-hmm. And he plays Roddy McDowell's dad in um, in the great John Ford movie, uh, How, How Green Was My Vest. Yes. Yeah. Great actor, great actor. An Academy Award. Mm. Uh, and he's incredible in that film, which is so good. And mm-hmm. maybe Robert Altman thought it was better than Citizen Kane. I'm not sure I do, oh, well. but the Oscars did, yeah. and it is a good movie. Um and classic Keaton shit where Keaton hires this guy because he's been told like, yeah, hire a guy. And he's like, oh, get a good dramatic guy. Like, yeah. he'll do he'll do the story stuff. I'll do the comedy stuff. That was exactly. And then immediately Keaton's like, this guy's trying to get in on my gags and just like he's shuns him. Because right. he's like, why do I want to fucking direct the shoe leather in a Buster Keaton movie? He said he would come over uh, with the goddamnedest gags you ever heard in your life. That yeah. was Keaton's read on Crisp's comedy. Well, that's, that's a negative we didn't want him as a gag man. Okay. Is another feel, thing that he says. You hear these <laughs> examples you don't want Buster to <laughs> of like studios, networks, whatever, strategically hiring a director for a thing because they're like, well, we want them just for this one thing they're good at. Right. And hopefully they'll know their lane and will stay out of the business of everything else, especially like star vehicles like this. And inevitably those guys come to set and are like, yeah, I want to do everything. Right. I'm, I'm not Buster referring to you. Apparently, they literally told him the film was done. Yes. And then filmed the deep sea diving sequence, which is like, you know, the most complicated sequence, yeah. right? Yeah. They, they picture wrapped him. Yeah. They were like, we're done. Yay. By the Bye. way, and it, it, is, it is Donald Crisp's uh, face on the painting in the painting bin. Oh, which is when a, it's like coming in the portal. Yeah. Catherine so that is, a is very creeped good out gag. by a painting yes. in her room and she throws it away and it ends up getting caught in a nail and hanging out Buster Keaton's porthole. Yeah. It's it a very like, surreal gag. 
Yeah. Like, because it doesn't mean anything. Like, no. what, what does yeah, Buster no. think is happening? Then there's like some super goofy stuff where then he's startled by it. And he's actually frightened in a way that Keaton normally isn't. Right. Yeah. He actually he's has flapped. kind of a Harold Lloyd reaction he, to this he stuff. Is, he is flappable in this movie. He is yes, he's, he's flabbergasted. Yes. Um, uh, his gas no, that, is I took flabbered. A picture with my, I took a picture of the screen of that gag because I thought it was so funny. And then he gets, he's scared and he gets covered in his sheet and he runs out and then she sees the sheet she and thinks, thinks it's, it's a, a ghost. ghost. Yeah. It's all super goofy. It's 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 not quite Keaton-esque. No. <laughs> no, but I, I, there is, look, once again, it's all good, but you do feel a man a little bit panicked. Uh, yes. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, It's yeah. definitely, a, it's it's a one for them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he, yeah. Keaton said like a lot of the gags in the film were stolen or had already been done on by other companies. Like street gags. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, but the thing he really really cared about was the underwater sequence and yes. like him being in the deep sea diving suit he just thought that was going to be like interesting and different That's, I mean it's the thing with him which is like he is just so well honed at a, as a performer at this time that I think he knows there's not much he can throw himself as an actor that will challenge him Right, and you feel him trying to challenge himself as a director and in terms of uh, conceiving scenario I mean, we didn't talk about it in the general episode, which will come out after this, but you read about the making of the general and he was so obsessed with like fucking, you brought it up, James, but like Kubrickian, every fucking uniform has to be period oh, yeah. accurate. Every detail has to be right. I want this to look perfect. And people are like, it's a comedy. It doesn't matter. And he's like, no, it matters. No, oh, yeah. And I'm also trying to push myself as a director. And he does. And the general doesn't, the general's great, but it doesn't lead as a comedy. It looks the like a comedy. The comedy is, is part of his vocabulary, but it, it's, right. it's a very different kind he of He doesn't belong in this movie. Now, this is his most successful film, at least yep. at, at this moment. And he referred to it as his favorite film often, yep. I think partly because it was such a hit. This also has a great title card at one point, which I love because the joke is completely obscure. Uh -huh. And I looked it up. Okay. But it's when he first decides to go on the boat anyway, without yes. her, he's going to go to Honolulu by himself. Right. He proposed, he was rejected, but he's, he got the tickets. Yeah. So he's going to go to Honolulu. And then there's a title card that says... Going on a honeymoon without a bride is like singing the words of Kiss Me Again to the music of Alice, Where Art Thou? Oh. Which I'm sure in 24. Yeah. Wait, you didn't get that? Them. I, I was laughing. Yeah. I, I, I understand I, both of those reference points. So, exactly. And how I, silly so, they would be together. Yeah. But exactly, I love, uh, I love her obscure. Said. I love how obscure that is. Of course. Yes. And then so I looked it, it up, and Kiss Me Again is an up-tempo, like, waltz. That I can imagine. About I, I can basically picture what that Written by like. Victor Herbert. And right. uh, as you might imagine, Alice, Where Art Thou is a slow tempo, slow tempo kind of plaintive, sad song. I love uh, that it's a tempo joke. It's a, right, you know, mixing a so, ballad yes, with It's a, kind of like yes. saying, so in the remake, we would say, going on a honeymoon without a bride is like singing the words to Friday I'm in Love to the tune of... Something in the way. Uh, sure. Sure. Right. sure. Very well done. If I may yeah. translate that. A beautiful to translation. Yeah. And a very Gen X translation yeah. there. Uh, anyway. This movie goes into uh, one of his most uh, extended uh, racist sequences. Yes, there's a whole, the whole finale. Yes. Uh, there's right, an right. island I, of I cannibals. This right. Out. right. This is also why this movie left a bad taste in my Absolutely. mouth. Absolutely. Even though... It, it doesn't really, nothing really happens on this island, but there, yeah, like it well, is. So, like Sherlock Jr., 45 minutes. perfect minutes, yeah. right? And then at minute 45 of this, it's like, here's our final act. It's 20 act, twenty minutes of old school white panic racism. At best, you have a couple of days work for like 30 
Yes. Well, for a, for a number of black actors, and right. perhaps some. It's this odd thing where it feels like the the main tribesman is is a white actor. Well, the, well, the chief guy is yes. noble is actually named Noble Johnson, noble Johnson. who was an African American okay. actor yes. okay. who also plays the chief in King Kong. He had a corner on chief roles. Gotcha. He's but had a very mummy. long career and was actually a very well known producer who produced mm-hmm. films for black audiences. So okay. he was a real actor with a yes. real career. But again, it's 1924. It's like his agents like. Uh, you're this a, you're a life. cannibal. They're going to put right. makeup on you. And that's the, he's like, all right, right. where's the shoot? Monterey. The right. Minutes, I'll spend a day in Monterey. The last 20 minutes are just <laughs> them panic that they're going to be eaten. Yeah. Uh, yes. by the way, which is, so this sequence is where Keaton's timelessness falls to the ground. Yes. Right. yes. This <laughs> and movie shatters into a million feel pieces. very modern. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, it feels very 1920s, obviously yes. like in very silent film mm-hmm. and yeah. Um, it's also just not as funny just cause like, no, like just the, the the physical gags are boring at that point, and I don't know. Like I definitely yeah. had lost steam. Yeah, and I think the underwater stuff is probably impressive to look at. It looks good, yeah. but it's just kind of cute. Yes, and it's funny because there's Keaton says that there was, you know, there's a gag where a swordfish comes up to him, and then he has a sword fight with of the course. swordfish, right? But then he said there was another gag that he cut where he put a starfish on like a badge and then traffic directed schools. Of See, that's funny. Fish, which uh, I would imagine they were Steve Zissou type fish right. going but, through. But I'm sure that's a cartoon logic thing. And then oddly, he was yeah. like, it's too cartoony. Yes. He's like, well, when it's, they previewed it, yeah, and he was like, laugh. the audience didn't laugh because they were caught up in the story, which is funny because this movie. Right, but the story were, he, is assembled with scotch tape and balsa wood. But I think <laughs> at that point, yes. the island has been sighted. The girl is at risk. Yeah, and they were like, "Why is he doing this?" And apparently, they'd spent ten grand on that gag, and they had to cut it. Jesus, um, it, it's yes. one of those things too, where you're like, this movie doesn't have the um, like the the screwball energy between the romantic leads once they're on the boat that could keep this thing well, they're, they're that could give it a distance. They're often doing kind of bits right. at different parts of the boat. Yeah. And they're like But ideally it, a movie like this, you want some his girl Friday energy where they're bickering and bickering until right. they realize they're in love. And instead it's just them both trying yeah. to survive the boat. And I mean Castro McGuire does what she can, especially in the beginning. And she she is good and she has mm-hmm. a different energy from Sherlock Jr. She's playing the haughty thing. Yes. She's playing more of an upper-class girl, and you can see it in her subtle performance. And I really like their chemistry together. But, yeah, it's just not as uh, timeless and transcendent. Yeah, but but then again, it's like he, it's Keaton, he makes a ma- he's, he's so talented. And right, Sherlock right. Jr. is so great that it's hard to— That's the thing. His, his worst films have ten moments that are among the best exactly. things you've ever seen. Yeah, in one way or another, there's a there's a quote uh, um, from and even like you read like the Variety review from the time is sort of like yeah like all the best bits are in the trailer like it's kind of that <laughs> right, kind right. of in the twenties. Buster Keaton's comedy is spotty. That is to say, it's both commonplace and novel, with the latter sufficient to make the picture a laugh getter. Not boffo, but spotto. Yes, a little spotto. But there's a, a a more recent review from from Dana Schwartz where I just think he, this is just such a great summation of the whole Buster. Dana thing. Schwartz, not Dana Stevens. Dana Dennis Schwartz. Oh, all right. Not Dana Schwartz, also friend of the yes, show. Yes, yes. Or right. Dana Stevens. Uh, but this uh, Dennis Schwartz said it, it proved to be Keaton's biggest commercial success because its theme of civilized man versus the machine seen as making life difficult for modern man because we have become so dependent on it and it's not always reliable was never used more effectively in cinema. I do think that speaks to why this was probably such a big hit, is it's just the cleanest kind of uncomplicated delivery system for 
the comedic dynamic that audiences liked most in Butzer, which is he doesn't understand how a thing works. And there, there's a great sequence where they finally decide to learn how to cook, and then they peewee Herman at the kitchen. Yes. With all these uh, uh, pulleys and ropes and things. Right. They, the Rube Goldberg things. He, yeah. yes. he adjusts the world to his reality. Yeah. I think it's funny where the way it ends with the sub that they're like, we're drowning. We're, we're like, kind of, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're doomed. We can't escape at this point. What mm. are we going to do? And then a sub appears. Pr- pretty fancy new technology back then, yeah. submarine. Pretty cool. I guess you're right. Submarines were kind of new. Pretty hot stuff. Newfangled yeah. shit. Yeah. Let's see X submarine. Yes. Yes. Deus accepted. The box office game. He gets a smooch. Yeah, well, he gets a smooch. The guy always gets his smooch at the end. Not always. No. Very often they sort of just walk off together. And then he trips <laughs> and hits the lever and the yeah. submarine <laughs> yeah. rotates. And then the cook comes out and is like, hey, you broke my <laughs> pot. The end. The Italian submarine <laughs> cook. Spaghetti, not al dente. Yeah. Um, this film was a big hit and mm-hmm. it is indeed in the top five on its opening weekend. It, navigating its way to number three. It played the biggest theme Very in New York nice City. variety uh, okay. use yeah. of the title there, variety style. Yes. Mm. Scheme. Navigating its way. Yeah. Sailing towards success. Um, Ankled failure. It's at number three. Okay. Number one is a silent drama film starring. Mm. Ramon Navarro. Ah, very well-known silent film actor. Okay. And, of course, uh, the great Wallace Beery. Uh, who, oh, my uh, God. Is it a wrestling picture? Is it a Wallace Beery wrestling <laughs> It is not because he appears to be a supporting character named Bobo. Okay. Uh, Ramon Navarro plays uh, a young lover uh, who elopes to Paris with his his lady. It's called The Mustache uh, of Fate. And they have a downward spiral, spiral where he she becomes a prostitute and he learns the ways of the underworld from Bobo. I'm guessing it is titled, It's a Living. <laughs> yeah, that's it's called mean. Curbside. It, good, that's not a bad title. Thank it you. is called The Red Lily, which mm. is the, the uh, nom de plume okay. that she acquires sure. as a lady of the night. I don't know. My title is better. Yeah, definitely. That, absolutely. That's, that's too 19th century. The yeah, Red, Red Lily. Lily. They should have like consulted it. you. And it's yeah. one of those, I do love it when like there's a Wikipedia entry for a movie and there's just the entire film available to you in the Wikipedia entry. <laughs> sure. is but this was domain. number one. This was number one. Now, number two is a King Vidor oh, film. Oh, you're saying embedded ah, in King the Wikipedia Vidor. Yeah, just right in there. Wow. Yeah. Um, uh, King Vidor, of course, who directed uh, many, many great the films, crowd. including mm-hmm. The Crowd, which we mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a drama, uh, a nice 70-minute drama starring Eileen Pringle and the... Uh, the, the potato chip magnate? She must have been. <laughs> uh, Later quit acting for Potato Chip. Uh, yeah, she was just like, we should put these things in tennis yeah, ball games. Yeah. Well, it, it was actually kind of tragic what happened to her. She popped and couldn't, couldn't stop. stop. All right. Uh, and John Gilbert, who we've, we we will at some point mention. The famous again, John, the legendary John Gilbert. Uh, who Brad Pitt's character in Babylon is very yes. obviously based who on. Who they claimed couldn't make the transition to talking. Supposedly had a high voice, although now Supposedly. people say that's not. Hey, really so did was. Mickey Rourke, didn't hurt him. No. Uh, and I love, I do love that moment in Babylon when, when, uh, Gene Smart's just like, it's not your voice, it's not anything. You're yeah, just over, just man. It. That's just how it goes. Buster, anyway. th- though, did interestingly have a surprisingly deep and raspy voice that when Which the mics turned on, it's right. like, that's not what you imagine right. in your head. Yeah. Uh, this film... It was, like, uh, I, it was one of the best gag pictures I ever made. It's about... 
one it's week, about, and then you have to rebuild well, the house. Well, it was the, the darndest thing you have ever seen. Yeah, this house. Um, it's uh, it's about a Russian nobleman. What's it called? It's got a really boring title. A, a Russian nobleman. Okay, it is called Anastasia's Lament. Yeah, I'm guessing title. it is called the Russian nobleman. Uh, it is called. <laughs> that would be quite. I a, felt like a safe a clue. guess. Yeah. Uh, it is called His Hour, and it is mostly famous for being quite titillating mm. for the time. Oh, a bit, a bit uh, salacious. To the point that Louis Mayer got pretty mad at King Vidor for wow. how hot-cheeked it was. King Vidor was a uh, horny on Maine? Hot-cheeked. <laughs> so he was bonk to sent to horny jail <laughs> by Louis V. Mayer. Uh, number three is The Navigator. Number four is a very famous Raoul Walsh film um, starring Douglas Fairbanks, an adventure film based Ooh. on a classic tale. Uh, 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 it's not, um... It's not Robin Hood. No. It's Robinson Crusoe. No. It's not Thief of Baghdad. It is Thief of Baghdad. I got one. It's always fun when you get one of these because it's hard to get. Yeah. Uh, Fairbanks considered it his best film. I've uh, never seen this. Considered one of the best uh, Fairbanks movies. I've, I've never seen it I've either. seen the Court of Powell Pressburger one. Uh, yes, so have I, which, which is, is awesome. An, uh, another oh, one of the all-time great special effects movies of, of the first half yes. of the century. And Douglas Fairbanks plays the Thief of Acted in this film, but mm -hmm. our favorite, Snitz Edwards, Snitz! is in it as his, literally quoted, uh, his title is his evil associate. That is the, that's the credit he gets. <sighs> I, I love you may or may not know Snitz Edwards, but he's in a lot of Buster Keaton movies and he's just got love it. a great face. He's often played he sneering Well, you butlers. texted me a reference to Snitz earlier, and I wasn't sure what you were referring to. Yes, yes, I was making a a, a pro a pro Snitz joke. Um, I love uh, yes. I love uh, I love the name. Yeah. Um, Mae Wong is also in this film, mm -hmm. very very Indeed. famous figure, mm -hmm. yes. uh, and Noble Johnson, who we already mentioned. Oh it? my yeah. God! Oh, wow. so yeah. in this film as the Prince of the Indies, burning up the box office. Another another uh, another uh, indigenous potentate uh, mm. yes, to exactly. add to his long list of. Uh, credits. Uh, so that movie, I think that movie has been in theaters for many months uh, sure. at this point. Uh, number five is a drama mm -hmm. starring uh, oh, it's a Cecil B. DeMille film. Hello. Okay. Uh, hello. Uh, starring Vera Reynolds and Rod LaRocque. Yeah, Rod LaRocque. What a name. I've heard, I don't know his work but I do know that name. Rod it's a good name. Uh, I don't know. It looks like a guy. I don't know. Oh, sure. It looks like a guy. Good fella. Rod yeah. LaRock. Rod LaRock. A gentleman. Uh, and uh, this film appears to be about, oh, a guy who gets injured by a shark. So his wife has to become a fashion model to make ends meet. And then there's all kinds of stuff that happens. And apparently someone almost dies from gas fumes. I don't know. This sounds very dramatic. Why has this not been remade? That's such a clean uh, premise. It is, it is this a lost film, film is called Black Reef. It's not called Black Reef, but okay. that's a great title. Okay, David pointed as if he was close. No, no, he's not. No, you just thought it was good. I okay. Was good. I just, if you want to wager a guess for this lost film. Yeah. It's called, ow, that's my arm. Guess you're going to have to start <laughs> modeling now, wifey. Yeah, that, they thought about that, but it couldn't fit in the marquee, so yeah. they instead settled on Feet of Clay. Feet oh. of clay. Feet of clay. Feet of clay. Uh, a, a wonderful phrase. How you doing, Tony? Eh, been a real feet of clay situation, you know, attacked yes. by a shark. Feet of clay. Uh, you've also got uh, something called The Story Without a Name. Okay. Uh, something called... They should have titled it. I mean, that's... Yeah. A, a that's least. Yeah, they that, fucked that, up. Yeah, yeah, Unfinished, yeah. incomplete. Yeah. They've got a Gloria Swanson film called Her Love Story. Mm -hmm. And they've got a... 
uh, Robert Altman's Three Women. Oh no, this must incredible. be incredible. So, uh, an early, a very set. early Lubitsch movie called Three Women. Oh, interesting. Uh, ah. uh, Mary McAvoy, uh, Pauline Frederick. You know, it's kind of pre-Lubitsch yeah. touch. I, 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 Pre-musical because it's silent. Yes. yes. Um, I have not seen any Lubitsch. of the Lubitsch silence. I think the it's earliest blind spot for me. Lubitsch I've ever seen is The Smiling Lieutenant, and that does yes. have talking yes. in it. That one's lovely, though. It is very good. Yeah. And it has um, my favorite guy, Maurice Chevalier. Yeah. <laughs> Maurice Chevalier. For little girls. David's recently become Chevalier-pilled. Oh, my <laughs> God. I watched Gigi. Understandably. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, but Gigi, that's it. Gigi movie, you know, you're not allowed to screen within uh, 500 feet right. of a school or church. Gigi is the uh, weirdest movie to be rated G. <laughs> yes. Uh, because it is so weird. Um, but uh, but that Maurice his, Chevalier his, is so fun his, in it. Yeah, his wonderful homage to the future sexuality yes. of prepubescent girls. Yes. It's a lovely in, idea in, for in a, a movie with like... <laughs> Basically, like Disney presentation. You know, there is a website where you can type in your zip code and see anyone who's watched ZZ. <laughs> GG, I fucked you up my own joke. All right. Okay. We're done. James. I got to go home. My God. Thank you for having me. This was such, such a delight. James, oh, I'm so glad we did truly. this in person. Yes. Me too. We're here Worked in town. out perfectly. Uh, to this episode's going up in like two days because yes. of it. And that's yes. exciting. That's why we keep saying, and we're going to talk about that later. I know. Uh, but yeah, you're one of my favorite people. And you, you are a classic example of someone where uh, the pandemic has made it much longer since we've seen each other. Yes, because I, like. I used to get to New York a lot more. And I would I go to LA. I would, I would, yeah, uh, I would, I would uh, try to get uh, hired in movies, and I would stay on your couch and babysit your children in exchange from being allowed to stay at yes. your home. And then we would go to bars now and then. Yes, yes, and talk <laughs> about uh, uh, old movies Same and being stuff. sad. Yeah, my two favorite subjects. <laughs> Uh, but it's been, it's been too long, and it was uh, it was so nice to finally uh, uh, you. get you on the show. Well, it's, it's a privilege to be here, so thank you. Um, privilege yep. all ours. Absolutely. Is there anything you want to plug? The the new the Venture oh. Brothers movie, the yeah, well, film? coming out in uh, all I can say is later this year. Yes, uh, they're rolling this out in their own way. But we have completed this special, which is feature length, so we're yes. calling it a movie, and we kind of tie up all the loose ends. The old gang gets back together for one last caper. Hey, now. And yeah, that's coming out. And then there's a couple of, there's a handful of like independent films that I, I'm in that are kind of outer coming out. Mm -hmm. a, a, a funny movie called Country Club. Okay. Directed by, directed, starring, and written by a powerhouse named mm -hmm. Fiona Robert. Okay. A lady who made this movie and stars in it and it's a comedy. And one I'm to watch? Playing another one to watch. Mm -hmm. And uh, I play another quirky authority figure in that are, with do, a bunch of kidding. young people. It's yes. like revisiting hey. the guns. I told you, I told my friend we were going to be on the podcast, and she said, "Oh, tell him I loved him as piss criminal in Law and Order." Or piss was criminal it in Law and Order was one of my great calls. <laughs> Uh, you couldn't um, actually remember if it was Law and Order or CSI. It, well, but. well, of course it was Special Victims Unit, uh, yeah, and I was right. the Red Herring, which is a role I often play on those sure. shows. Yes, right, where everyone's but like, "It's gotta I be was, this guy." He's uh, not actually evil; he's just creepy. I well, I was a man who put mini cams into women's restrooms. Oh, sure. well, you shouldn't but this, do that. This and Amy Sedaris plays my sister, by the way. Wow! And this leads the cops. They they bust me for that. Yeah. But so then, it's a Gonzo reunion. But then. One yeah. of the tapes I inadvertently made, a crime was committed. Yeah. Someone molested someone in the room. So I lead them to the actual. Does someone of the have episode. to explain to Ice T why you would put a camera in a woman's yeah. restroom? Like, does he have to be like, you're Wait telling me it's a John Mulaney bit? <laughs> yeah. This guy spies on women. It's the special victims. You know? I'm also just thinking if you went into Adult Swim tomorrow and said the show's called Piss Criminal and it stars <laughs> me and Amy Sedaris as siblings. 
They would they literally would, throw a green light they'd at They'd be us. like, we just like, pre-sold they it. They would right. throw an actual traffic yeah. light that was battery operated and they would throw it at my head and it would bonk they, me. They would, in the room, give you an 80-episode <laughs> commitment for a total budget of $20,000. And then I'd be unconscious, bleeding, yes. because they threw an actual green light from a traffic light And you're blinded, too, because it's still, it's like flashing. It's <laughs> yeah. like a lighthouse sort of spinning around sideways. And then light. they're like, and criminal. then I smile and then slowly yeah. die. And well, the Sedaris Urbaniak, piss criminal, coming to adults. By the way, that character out. did have a name, and his name was Wade Donato, and I always felt Wade was a sort of aquatic pun. Mm. That's funny. That's funny. If you were there. They're, they're, they're clever, those writers. Exactly. They're clever. <laughs> they're the, the gag men, the law and order gag men. Oh, my goodness. Uh, thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you to Marie Barty for our social media and helping to produce the show. Thank you to Joe Bowen, Pat Reynolds for our artwork. Uh, Lee Montgomery, The Great American All for our theme song. AJ McKeon, Alex Barron for our editing. JJ Birch for our research. Those dossiers. He's got, he had a lot of Doing work. great. A lot yep. of work. They've been beautiful uh, for, this, for this series. Uh, tune in next week for... Next week is next week is Jamie's episode, so it's um, go uh, uh, go west and um, seven, seven chances. chances which is the great Jamie ah, Loftus, yes. great Jamie Loftus, back on the show. Her, the new one book, of the Raw rare, Dog. Yes. one of the rare Keaton films that was remade. Yes, yes, it was. That's yes, right. with the, with the Buster Keaton of our day, of our day, Chris it's O'Donnell, O'Donnell. <laughs> incredible. We talk about it. Uh, yeah. We do. We do talk about it. Uh, I didn't realize uh, SS Rajamouli also remade Our Hospitality. He did. It's a short or something. Like, uh, I it's need to a, see yeah, it. I'd like People to see have been recommending it, but that seems uh, really interesting. Anyway. Yes. And The Navigator was remade as Captain Phillips. A lot of people don't realize that. Yeah. Fewer gags. Yeah, well. Yes. Uh, you can go to blankcheckpod.com for links to some real nerdy shit, including our Patreon, Blankcheck special features. I'm to use the old stone face of our modern time. Got a stony face, you know. Guy's got a real. I want more slapstick Barcut Abdi comedies. Yeah, I want to see him getting up into mischief. Uh, the Planet of the Apes, the classic Planet of the Apes series, a series so I imagine you Patreon. must have some fondness for. A lot of great character actors. Uh, that's true. Although I was never that into the Planet of the Apes mm. movies. Okay, okay. but well, I do like that original, like Roddy McDowell. I mentioned him earlier. Yes, the great. Well, you mentioned um, Baby McDowell, of course, when he was in. Uh, Agree with everybody. He was so he's, small. Uh, you know, I saw that film for the first time uh, like a year well. ago, and uh, he's extraordinary in that he, movie. That movie is. I suddenly so got good. Roddy McDowell. The whole thing with that movie is, I spent my whole life being like, "Oh, that's the movie that shouldn't have beaten Citizen right. Kane." Then you watch it, and you're like, "I don't know, man. I'm pretty stirred right pretty now by these well It's one of the great kid performances. He's really good. ever. Yeah. 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 Yes, yes. yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, great. If you, if you want to hear Roddy McDowell talk, that's what's happening over on Patreon. Patreon. And of course, the, right. the Dana Stevens uh, shorts episode has just come out if you want to listen to that, which was a real fun time. A pip, it as they pip. would have said in Buster's yeah. time. Uh, thank you again, yeah, James, for it. being here. Yeah, thanks, James. Thank you. And as always, this is a No Bits Pro Snits podcast, even though he wasn't in either of the movies we talked about today. <laughs>